guys. I hope everybody's doing good today. Happy Monday. Um, so I said we're going to start at five. We're starting right at five o'clock and I'm so happy to see everybody here in the chat. It has been a lot going on. Um, I had did my last podcast last week. I didn't get a chance to go live. I'm trying to take a break from social media for my mental health. I just need a break. I'm just exhausted. But um, before I left, I had did a podcast about the nursing industry um, because it really troubled me about the doctor um, driving his family off the cliff. And while the easiest way to do a podcast and to talk about a topic is to jump on the social media anger and hate train. And for me, I looked at the situation way deeper just from conversations that I've had with people in the medical field, um, discussions that we've had in the Discord meeting, and just seeing the stress that's going on with people all around the world in the medical field. And on top of this summer, the nurses um, striking in Minnesota. So I took a different angle with that podcast, and I really talked about the mental health. You know, somebody who's doing that well for himself, never had a criminal background, no issues at the home, no domestics. For him to just snap and drive his family off of a cliff is frightening. But it, it goes to speak to a bigger issue in society of people dealing with mental health issues. And sometimes, um, you know, people being ignored because of their status or, you know, their profession. And when I tell you, when I went through the comments of that video, I was blown away by how many nurses and doctors were thanking me for just talking about the topic and saying that this is not get talked about, um, the abuses that they face, the things that they go through at the job, and how bad the system is getting. And so then I wake up this morning, and it's just crazy. It's like front page news that over 7,000 nurses literally walked off the job in NYC. So when I tell you Tigro Damas be striking and don't even know it, it's insane. More than 7,000 nurses at two New York City hospitals are on strike after failed negotiations, according to the New York State Nurses Association. Nurses from Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx and Mount Sinai Hospital in Harlem failed to reach agreement with staff Sunday night. New York Governor Kathy Hochul called for a binding arbitration to avert a strike on Sunday night, but union officials did not accept the proposal. Both hospitals said they will offer a 19.1% wage increase. In an internal memo, Mount Sinai said it was preparing for the strike, including starting to cancel some elective surgeries. The New York State Nurses Association urged New Yorkers to not be concerned about seeking medical care due to the strike. And even in the article, they were saying some of the things that I had mentioned on the podcast that remember during COVID, these nurses were seen as heroes. And then somehow with the whole vaccine drama, um, all of a sudden these, these same nurses who are risking 
as before there was ever a vaccine, were then seen as the enemy and people were fired. And to me, it made no sense that you would fire somebody who's had tenure and who'd been, you know, in this job for a long time, especially when you don't have a lot of young people going after these jobs anymore. And matter of fact, um, there was an article that was written last week I had posted on Discord, and they were basically saying that Generation Z has no interest in uh, blue-collar work, carpenters, plumbers, and things like that, mechanics. And so we're dealing with a major crisis in America where there's not going to be enough people to fill in the job market of older people as they get ready to retire. And now it's not even retirement. People are literally quitting these jobs because there's not enough people to work them. Everything is being, you know, placed on just a few nurses. So imagine you're a nurse and you're in charge of 30 rooms. That is insane. That That's never happened before. But because more and more people are quitting and not going into these type of jobs, it's causing a huge strain. So what I wanted to do is definitely lend my platform to people in the medical field to call in and speak about what you guys are experiencing firsthand, because I know it from you guys telling me, but I would like to hear from you all. Um, Please only call in if you work in the medical field. This is not the oppression Olympics. Do not call in ranting about your Bath and Body Works job. Do not call in saying that, you know, janitors should get paid more. I agree that everybody should get paid more. But today we're dealing with the medical staff um, because I saw a lot of that in the comments, too. Well, it's not just nurses that need to get paid. You know what I'm saying? I'm a teacher. We get that. Everybody needs to. But today we're talking about nurses, doctors and people in the medical field. So that's why I want to hear from. Do not call in talking about your McDonald's job. Okay. My heart goes out to you, but today it's the medical people we want to hear from. So please make sure you raise your hand. Please make sure you work in the medical field. Um, Doctor, CNA, um, you know, health insurance, because from what I'm seeing, the rot starts at the top. And from what I'm also learning is that these insurance companies are literally dictating how doctors and nurses provide care. And that is not okay. So um, I definitely want to hear from people. So I'm going to start bringing people up on stage. Please make sure your microphone is muted until um, I call your name and we can go ahead and get started. Danielle, are you ready? I'm ready. Can you hear me, T? We can hear you perfectly. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. First off, T, I have been watching you since middle school me and my best friend she's gonna be listening to this oh hey cat she's at work but um i work i am a cna and i work in a hospital and it is horrible like mm. i um i'm 20 i just turned um i started working in the healthcare industry when i was 18 and i have developed bad um anxiety depression like i am in therapy i have to go to therapy every week they don't really care about any staff, to be honest. They just care about the money. Um, the patients are horrible. Like, they yell, they fight, they kick us. It's, it's so bad. Um, and wow. and you work in a hospital or a, a private hospital. practice? Where do you I work, work in a hospital. In a hospital. And it's, the work is bad itself, but you have... Your coworkers, 
they it's it's so bad. Like they are so mean. They're degrading. So you're you're working with these horrible patients, and then you have to work with these people that are so nasty. It is a horrible. It's so bad. Um, I want to be a neurosurgeon, so mm. I have a long I have a long way to go. So I'm stuck in here. So um, this weekend, like I sound sick. Um, I was really sick and I had to go to the hospital, not the one that I work. And um, they had to call a code on me because I passed out in the ER. And um, they did not, Mm. they literally looked at me and they walked away. One nurse helped me out of the many doctors and the nurses that came down that were supposed to help with the code. They literally looked at me and walked off. Nobody did any blood pressures it was the worst experience of my life like I felt I did not feel safe being in that hospital it it's just a bad industry all around and everybody's leaving I can't really blame them you don't have good work-life balance you don't get the proper how can I say the proper tools? Mm-hmm. You know what's sad? You're only 20. You've only been doing this for two years. Yeah. And you literally sound like a nurse who's been grinding for 10. Yep. You're burnt out after two years. That is frightening. Yep. And what I've noticed is that I know a lot of people talk about it. Some of the older nurses, instead of kind of embracing you guys and teaching you guys the rope, it's almost like a competition and they kind of talk down to the younger nurses mm-hmm. is some of the stuff that I'm hearing. Like it's a lot of bullying. And I wonder if some of that is um, projection because, you know, they're getting it from the patients. So then they in return, take it out on other nurses because that environment. And that's one thing that people don't talk about. And I, I never, I didn't know it was that bad till I was reading the comments. Cause there's somebody who's been in out the hospital literally my whole life. Um, there was, there was a certain etiquette, you know what I mean? Like you treated nurses and doctors on mm-hmm. the same level that you treated your teachers with respect. Thank you. You know, just those pleasantries. And it's very shocking to hear, you know, patients and kicking. One of the nurses left the comment and said that um, what caused her to eventually leave the field was one of her patients got into it with her and the family. And when she was walking out to her job, the patient's family member was out there waiting for her in the parking lot and try to beat her up. But she was an MMA person. Like she knew like karate or something. So she was able to defend herself. But imagine leaving your job and somebody's Mm -hmm. out there in the parking lot stalking, waiting for you to come out. And the thing that's scary is a lot of times the hospitals side with the patients. So there's not a lot of side with you guys, even if you're not at fault. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just I. It, it's sad to say, but I would not recommend anyone to become like a nurse or like a CNER doctor. It's to me, it's not worth your mental health. Like, if you do not have the passion, like if this is not something that you're passionate about, like I would not do not even do it. Don't do it. And it's so messed mm. up to say because we need we need healthcare workers. 
but at what cost like it's it's awful well thank you for listening to you like i really love you oh don't cry (laughs) i love you too hang in there and you know thank you for your service if nobody else has told you thank you you know thank you for me and the tea sipper audience for just the hard work of what you're doing and what you're putting up with, you know, you are very much appreciated and know Mm -hmm. that you're saving lives and, you know, you're trying to provide the best care that you can provide. So just hang in there because we need people like you because if everybody quits, what's going to happen to people who had the, you know what I mean? Who really need medical services. Yeah. So it's, it's so bad, but thank you so much. And I love you. I love you too. We'll talk to you later. Bye. So today's show sponsor is HelloFresh. Skip the trip to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun and easy. Looking for an easy way to eat well and save money this year? Cut back on expensive takeouts, deliveries, and start cooking with HelloFresh. They have just the options that you're looking for to help you achieve your goals. You can choose calorie smart, carb smart recipes, or even customize and select meals by swapping out proteins or sides and also upgrading your proteins or adding proteins to a veggie dish. So there's plenty of options for you with HelloFresh. And the best part is it's super easy. Like I tell you, once those boxes come, the boys go to work. The ingredients are are simple, the instructions are wonderful, and the boys have fun making their HelloFresh meals. So if you guys are interested in trying HelloFresh, make sure you guys go on to HelloFresh.com slash SipSlow21. Once again, use SipSlow, S-I-P-S-L-O-W-2-1 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. So check out HelloFresh today, America's number one meal kit. Yeah, it's so hard on so many people, you know, um, it's not easy. And as you guys know, like even in my family, there's a lot of people who work in the medical field, including my dad. And I remember as a kid, when, you know, he didn't tell us a lot of stuff that happened, you know, at work. But I remember one time my dad came in with like a black eye. He had been punched in the eye. And, you know, that always stuck with me you know, to think like a patient would hit your dad. And I remember asking him, like, well, did you, did you hit her back? Did you? And he was like, no, you can't hit the patient's back. He said he just had to walk out the room. And I remember maybe like a year later, um, because this one, he was working at the nursing home. The lady who had punched him called him into the room and she apologized to him. And then she took her last breath. So that story has always stuck with me. You know, um, people really need to, it, it has to be a give and take. And you, we can't continue to mistreat people and think that there's not going to be any type of ramifications. Um, so let me go ahead and bring on Victoria. Can you unmute your mic? Hello. Can you hear me? We can hear you perfectly. How are you? Hi, T. I'm fine. I'm very thankful that you're providing us with this platform to speak out about this extremely frustrating situation that we're all facing in the healthcare field. Um, hi, T. Sippers. Hi, T. Sippers. I'm Vix in the Discord. Uh, hey, Discord fam. And I just wanted to speak real quickly about, uh, especially to the nurses, the new nurses that are coming in, about what they might not know 
what, what I wish that I knew when I first entered the field. So first, um, I want to say I am a registered nurse. I work in the critical care field. I am a CVICU nurse. I work with cardiovascular thoracic services. I have been in this field for three years now. Before then, I was a CNA for about four or five years. So altogether, I have about eight to nine years of experience in the healthcare field. So I will say it has never, mm-hmm. I, in my eight years of being in this field, I've never seen it as terrible as it is uh, nowadays in recent days. Sorry about my dog. Hold on. Um, the, the deterioration of the healthcare system has just been, it's traumatizing. It really is. I've spoken out about this before. None of y'all are being gaslighted. If you feel like this is crazy, it is. It has never been this bad before. I've heard it from nurses who've been in the game 30, 40 years. It has never been this bad. So it is terrible. Um, what advice I wanted to give to new nurses that are entering the field was, number one, please understand what abandonment actually means. Abandonment uh, is something that we as nurses get threatened with all the time from our healthcare staff. If we put our foot down and we say, this is unsafe, I do not feel safe, I do not want to work in these conditions, uh, sometimes we get hit with something called abandonment, which is uh, they like to say that we are abandoning our patients and that is something that they're going to report to the Board of Nursing if we do not take unsafe assignments. So uh, you'll, you'll hear that being done as a scare tactic against nurses who try to speak out against unsafe ratios. Learn what abandonment means. Abandonment is if you come in and you take responsibility of the patients, if you take reports on the patients, you are accepting the, uh, the ratios, you are accepting the assignment that is being given to you. And then you leave after you have set, uh, accepted that assignment and there is no one in the building that is capable of taking care of the patients. That constitutes as abandonment. It is not abandonment if you come in through the door and you have not taken report, you're looking over your assignment, you put your foot down and say, no, this is not safe. I will not work under these conditions. They cannot report you for abandonment for doing that. That's why it's always recommended to come in and take a look at your uh, your surroundings, uh, take a look at your patient ratios, and make sure that before you take reports that you feel comfortable with taking care of that amount of patients and that workload that night. If you do not, put your foot down, talk to your charge nurse or talk to your supervisor and say, no, we need we need help. We need to do something about this. I will not take this assignment. This is not safe. Even if you lose your job, I cannot say that they will not retaliate against you and fire you. You will walk away with your license and your license is your livelihood. That is what matters. You even if that job doesn't want to take your considerate uh, your safety into consideration, you will go out and get a job the next day. I promise you, you as a nurse, you are needed everywhere. Do not accept unsafe assignments. The moment something goes wrong, that is you under the bus. And they will throw you under it so hard. So, mm. so what are some things that you noticed from the time yes, you ma'am. started eight years ago to what is what is causing the deterioration right now? Where we just had seven thousand nurses. It is so. Uh, from my own personal experience, I've worked in the ICU as a as a nurse. It is just short shortages everywhere. We do not have the uh in the Discord I call it the ancillary staff. 
staff. These are our, um, our physical therapists. These are our lab techs. These are our uh, CNAs. These are the people who literally are like the lifeblood of the medic, uh, medical system. These are the people that come in and they, and they do different tasks with the, uh, with the patient to help with recovery. We do not have enough people in general. We don't have enough pharmacy techs. We don't have enough. We barely have enough uh, doctors in. We're short physicians. We're short everywhere. So what is con- what is contributing to that is the fact that uh, the hospitals are so about maintaining profits. It's like they got that taste of that COVID grant money from the government and they wanted to hold on to that as much as possible. They did not want to show it out to their staff that actually deserved it. And now that they see that we will we will work under t- these uh, tough conditions and these shortages if we need to, um, they want to hold on to that. that want, they want that to be the new status quo, essentially. So you mean to tell me all of the money that they were pouring in? Because weren't they saying that every time somebody died of yeah. died, regardless of what it was, they marked them as a COVID death to get yes, money? ma'am. So none of that money trickled down to the staff. That's no, what you're saying. No, ma'am. I didn't get a bonus pay. Y'all didn't get a in salary. No, ma'am. We did not. Uh, what? No, ma'am. What 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 was happening with the hospitals? From my experience, uh, I work in Louisiana. That's that's what I'll say. From my experience, the hospitals that I work for were receiving additional grants to bring in extra staff. So they themselves were not paying out of pocket for the extra travel staff that was coming in. But however, they were also receiving grant money for the COVID nineteen pandemic. So they were getting paid extra supplementary money from the government to uh, house the people that were getting sick. They were not paying out for the travel nurses that were coming in. The government was taking care of that. So they were just making profit upon profit. It did not trickle down to us. I think the most I, from my experience, the most I made was probably like one, a one-time $500 bonus for the entire year, like at the end of the year, Christmas. And that was their way of saying thank you. And I know nurses who didn't even get that. They didn't even get anything for their thank you. They just got PTSD and anxiety and new pills to take now to try to sleep at night. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so it is, it is a lack of staffing. It is uh, the hospitals believing, well, they can work underneath the brink and underneath the uh, stress of just, we can make the nurses do three people's jobs at once. They've worked like this all through 20 and 2021. This is the new norm. And we can still collect all the profits from that, from working them under that stress. And it is it is unsustainable. What is going on in, in New York and in Minnesota, this is going to happen everywhere because this is absolutely un, um, unsustainable. I'm not going to hold you on I'm not going to hold you too long. I just have one more piece of advice for the new nurses that are coming in. Yeah. The um, second piece. So the, uh, the first one I said was abandonment. The second piece of advice um, hold is to, we have a problem with what you said earlier about the older nurses bullying the younger nurses. Uh, this is a real deal. Uh, the older staff just are, are tired. They don't want to teach the new staff anything. They're already saddled. We're all saddled with way too many patients and then having to teach the new nurses that are coming in. I'm not trying to make excuses for them. I'm just trying to prepare you for these hostile environments that you're not going to just get from patients or you're going to get from um, family. You're going to get from your fellow co-workers. Be prepared for the 
the negativity. It's it's a it's a battle zone out here essentially. And if you don't get the best the best training from your preceptor, please speak up because these are dangerous times. We are being held responsible for everything and you need training. This is not normal. You need training from somebody that actually cares. So if you come in and your older nurse is is mistreating you, get a new trainer and put your foot down against that. You're not the problem. You're not expected to know everything. It is completely fine to ask questions. I would rather you be safe and train with someone that cares. So speak up, get someone in that can actually teach you. They don't, they will keep you with those bullying nurses if they don't know that you're being bullied. Speak up. You have to speak up for yourself and put your foot down against that. And that's with patience too, because eight years in the game, I've been beaten up. I've been kicked in the stomach. I've been all sorts of abused. And every single time an incident has happened, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm just saying, what in the world is up with pay? I didn't, yes. I, I just couldn't imagine putting my hands on somebody when they're trying to physically help me live. Like, yes. you know, when you think about it, their your, their life is in your hand. Yes. So why would you I, physically want to beat up somebody who has the power, not saying that any of y'all would, but you know what I mean? That's crazy to me. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we are the we are the new, uh, I guess, punching bags and therapy for these people. Nurses, you are not a punching bag. The moment I ever uh, was hit or struck or anything, I put my foot down and I fired myself from that patient. I stepped out of their room. I went to my charge nurse and I said, trade me with someone else because I will not. I absolutely refuse to get beat up from a patient. Everyone is frustrated, depressed. Mental issues are rampant nowadays. You are not a punching bag. This is not normal. So please, please, please find your voice. It doesn't matter if you've been in the game a week, if you've been in the game 20 years, find your voice, speak up. What the New York nurses are doing is absolutely appropriate. This, this needs to happen everywhere because this has to stop. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to call in and just speak to the new nurses, especially we need y'all here. This is a wonderful career. I, even through all of the stress that I have been through and what I'm struggling with, I am so proud to be a nurse. I love my job. I love the patients. I love the difference that we make. We need more of us in here that cares, so we are being abused and we need to put our foot down and fight back against what these uh, hospital systems and these patients are trying to do to us. So thank you. Well, Victoria, I thank you. I thank you for your service and you taking time out to call in and just give that wealth of information to these young nurses. Cause that first girl almost broke my heart. Yes, ma'am. And that's how a lot of them are feeling. So hopefully your words have touched many people who might be thinking of just quitting or not going down that field. So thank you so much, sis. Thank you. And um, everyone take care. Uh, be blessed and just hold strong. I hope to see more of what's going on in New York and Minnesota because we need it. All right. Take care, TC. Right. Bye. Oh, she made some awesome points. Yeah. I mean, y'all can read the chat. People, there's a lot of nurses in the chat. They're all co-signing and saying amen. Like, my heart is broken that some of y'all are literally getting hit on by people. That is insane to me. You know, like, I guess we're so used to, like, you know, police officers fighting or getting attacked by people. Because, you know, the whole police versus the people. But I would have never thought it was this prominent, like, continuously happening um, with nurses, you know, grown men hitting on women who are just trying to do their job. But like you, like she said, there's a lot of mental illness and people who have issues out there. So um, let me go ahead and bring on some more people here. Uh, Sincere Ortiz, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hello? 
Hi, we can barely hear you. Oh, what about now? You sound far away. Oh, dang. Are you on a Bluetooth? No, I actually literally just turned my Bluetooth off. Try and put your Bluetooth on. Okay, all right. Hold on one second. Okay. Y'all gonna stop calling in with these Haitian Bluetooths. That's what we said last time. You're calling in from the islands. Uh-uh, it's still really low. Are you on an iPhone? No, I got Android, Mom. We're not going to do that. Try and use the speaker option. Try use the speaker option. Maybe can you call me back? Can I call back? Oh, no, no, no. Now it's echoing. Yeah, try and call back in, sir. Nope, it's still low. No. I'll call back. Okay. Bye. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I said, we're not going to do that to Andrew. Hey, Andrew will be having the issues too, child. Um, Let me go ahead and bring on Cynthia. Oh, I can't read the full name. Hey, T. Can y'all hear me? I can hear you perfectly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah, um, are you on a Bluetooth? Maybe I, we can get people advice who are calling in. I, I'm sorry, I'm an Apple user. <laughs> Not my um my okay. AirPods. So I'm okay. You got any, yeah. So maybe some of y'all tried the AirPods and see if that helps. Because you sound crisp and clear. <laughs> Thank you. But um yes, my name is uh, Cynthia. I'm a, actually a pharmacy student, and I'm in my last year of pharmacy okay. school. I think we spoke before. On your Discord, yes. On the Discord, yes. right? So, okay, I remember. Which we're still, you know, still going through issues with manufacturers running out of meds. But um, anyway, so a couple of months ago, one of my rotations, I had like a cardio- cardiology ICU rotation. And um, of course, there was a cold blue situation. A woman went into cardiac arrest. Um, so that was our floor. So we went down there and... A um, when we were, we were down there, our job really is whenever the physician is say, "Hey, we need some bicarb, calcium." Our job is to hand it over to the to whoever, and they inject it. That's our job. But there weren't a lot of nurses doing chest compressions. Now imagine somebody like I. I'm I'm seeing folks like my mama age doing chest compressions, and there's like three three nurses. Going like in the line and they're exhausted at this point. So the physician looks at me, it's me and another pharmacy student. Mm-hmm. And she's like, y'all have like, can y'all do chest compressions? Of course, our, we have to. They ask the pharmacy yes. people to do chest yes. compressions? Yes. So, and oh I, God. you know, it was, first of all, like <laughs> it was the most traumatizing situation I've ever seen. You know, like. So did they ask you guys because there wasn't enough nurses yes. on staff and the nurses were tired? Yes. So then, okay. Because somebody else even said today that they saw a posting for people to come and help in the NICU. Just random people. No degree. No, they just need bodies. Are you, seriously? Yeah. In the NICU. Because there's not enough nurses to, I guess, rock the babies and... So it's, yeah, so the fact that they would just add, I mean, chest compressions, you're talking about a life or death situation. And if you're only yes. there to serve medication, I can only imagine how traumatic that is because if that person doesn't survive, you weren't really taught how to deal with that because that's not your line of work, right? 
And and the, like you know, as as pharmacists, you know, in those situations, you know, they see those things. Of course, they're not hands on. Like our job is just to pass off, make sure you you know there's enough medication. To, you know, uh, in those code situations, but be, they were so fatigued. Like mm-hmm. one of the nurses, like again, old enough to be my mother. She's breathing. Like you're doing two minutes of chest compressions over and over and over again. And so they had called us in. Mm. I mean, worst situation in my life. Unfortunately, the lady had passed, passed away. She was super hyperkalemic. Like it was just a crazy situation. And so did you end up doing the chest compressions on her? Yes. And okay, so you did, and then she still passed. Yeah. It mm. and I can even to this day, she passed three three oh five three oh seven. I'll never forget that time. And I remember like Hmm. You know, I just, I couldn't believe what I saw because in the mornings, right? Like whenever there was a cold situation, I mean, nurses were all over the place, but it's that evening shift at that Hmm. hospital that I'm just like, there's barely anybody there. So I, you know, Hmm. and, and not even just the, the, you know, the lack of staff, but the mental trauma I'm in there. That was the, I've never in my life. Yeah. To this day, it still haunts me. And that's one. I can't even imagine having to, Mm. to, to see a situation like that over and over and over again. And then the hospitals that are supposed to help support you are throwing you off to the wayside. It just, it never made any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like people are. Well, I'm going to go the, you're right about the trauma because there were people writing comments on that on the podcast that I did, and one lady was saying that she does lashes and she doesn't for a lot of people who are nurses. And sometimes, you know, when you're getting your lashes done, you're just in a relaxed state and you're talking. And a lot of nurses were telling her how they would literally have to put patients in body bags during COVID and then turn around and go to lunch. And I never thought oh, yeah. about it like that. I never thought about that. I mean, think about. Whatever line of job you do, right, you know, taking that last phone call or, you know, changing that last thing of oil as an oil mechanic and then rushing off to lunch. Now, imagine having to put a patient in a body bag and then now you still have 30 minutes to eat, but you're seeing this patient's face. And I like that broke me down. Like when I read that comment, I was like crying because I never, ever even thought about that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And th- those are the things that we don't think about, those nuances of being a nurse. Oh, yeah. Like, um, even at Grady Hospital, our number one trauma center here in Atlanta, uh, over, mm-hmm. like, when COVID happened, I, we had a, a family friend and some heart issues. Next to them, a patient that literally had blood coming out his mouth everywhere. His wife was screaming, help me, somebody help my husband. Mm-hmm. They were all lined up on the ho- in the hallways. So eventually they pulled him to a room. Unfortunately, it was with our family friends and the, you know, just had a, a screen just separating the two. And my friend like looks over in the corner, like, you know, and just sees a dead, like they covered him with, you know, with a blanket and he just blood everywhere. They couldn't, there was nothing they could do for that man. They just, they saw him. He's obviously, you know, mm. in dire need, but there was so, it was too many people for them to handle. And it's, 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 to be honest but like you, mm. you you can't blame these nurses 
they're overworked and underpaid and disrespected. So it's it's crazy. Right. It's crazy. It's a lot. And so I, well, hang in there, sis. I'm almost I'm you almost know. done. <laughs> Yeah, I've done yeah, I know you've been like, at it for a while. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, but I just praying for the nurses. Thank God for y'all. And yes, like the last caller said, stand your because it it's it's horrible in there. The hospitals, it's horrible in there. Mm. Honestly, mm. but God bless y'all. Well, thank, thank you, Cynthia. You. No, problem. thank you thank for you. calling and sharing your story, sis. Thank you. Take care. Mm-hmm. You too. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, this is um, Anissa in the chat says, I have become so numb to death. Me and my coworkers will literally be talking about what we ate for lunch as we are bagging a body and prepping them for the morgue. Like you cannot take this line of work seriously, emotionally speaking, if you would legit or else you would legit lose your mind. And yeah, that is the truth. You know, they have to deal with death as much as life. They have to deal with death and losing a patient. Um, you know, that I can imagine that taking a toll and I can only imagine what these nurses were seeing during COVID, you know, and, and just the overwhelming amount of death. I remember even our good sis, Papa, our resident uh, mortician, and she's been a mortician for years. And she said there were so many bodies at her morgue, they were just piled up on the floor. She's never seen it that bad. So I can just imagine the PTSD that a lot of these nurses had to face, especially in hot zones like New York, you know. So for them, I'm I'm just shocked the fact that Cynthia and so many people in the chat were agreeing, saying that they were not paid any other bonus besides $500. Some people didn't even get a bonus. They were literally giving $500 checks to my son who was stocking shelves and thanking him for, you know, being an essential worker. And he was stocking shelves at Target. So I'm confused as to why these nurses weren't given five, $10,000 bonuses. You know, it, wow. I'm just shocked. Go ahead and um, try Gigi again. Gigi, try and um, unmute your mic. Let's see if it's working. Hey, can you guys hear better? A little bit. It's still kind of far away, but go ahead. I'm, I'll do the audio. I'll fix it on the back end. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to talk a little loud. And since you guys, you know, can't really hear me, I won't take up too much time, but. Thank- okay. I can hear you better in my ear pod, So you're fine. Oh, okay. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this green room. Um, I really, really feel like it is necessary. Um, shout out to the discord. I'm his truth, her love zero two two nine. Um, I did see, I do see that Dolan Nurse is, is up uh, wanting to talk. I was chatting with you earlier. Um, so just a little mm-hmm. background um, about me. I am a registered nurse. Um, I have my bachelor's in science of nursing. Um, I have subsequently afterwards gone back to school for a graduate degree, and I have my master's in healthcare um, administration. But I started out in the hospital setting. Um, I started out on a med surge floor, and I don't even have to say anymore. Um, and y'all have worked med surge, y'all know it's a lot. Um, but I moved from med surge to infectious disease and at the height of COVID, um, Mm -hmm. it was a lot. It was a lot. I still have PTSD from it. Yes, we have bagged bodies. Um, we have had to choose which patients to put Mm -hmm. on, uh, ventilators, um, 
I, I just, I have so much PTSD and so much resentment from how I was treated on the floor during that time that it really makes me upset now that I allowed that type of treatment for so long. You know what I mean? Um, and I've, mm-hmm. I mean, I've mm-hmm. had health issues myself and I was told to just work through them because they needed us. Um, and it's, it's, it's very, very um, disappointing to see that it's not changing. Just want to piggyback off of what some of the other callers have said. Um, we used to call our new nurses um, on the infectious disease mm-hmm. unit are um, our baby nurses because we just want to protect them. They're so cute. They're like little puppies, you know. We're like, oh, she's a baby nurse. That's adorable, you know. <laughs> they still have that that excitement and glow in their eyes. <laughs> They do. We're like, oh, look at her. She just wants to save everybody or he just wants to save everybody. That's so cute, you know, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um, I just I want to give advice to the baby nurses. Stand your ground. Absolutely. Just because you're new does not mean that it's okay for people to treat you like dirt. It is not okay. You earn the right to be there. You Mm -hmm. went through nursing school, which is not an easy thing. You passed that NCLEX. I'm just saying, you may have had 265 questions, six hours. That's a lot that you had to go through. So they should give you respect because you earned that. Um, Definitely advocate for a good preceptor um, to get a good um, introduction, right? Everybody needs that good foundation. I was not an advocate of that. I had seven different preceptors, seven Mm -hmm. people teaching me how to do things seven different ways, giving me attitude and upset because I wasn't catching on. It was a lot of stress. And then to add COVID um, on Mm. top of that, I wouldn't wish it on nobody. To everybody who is not in the medical field, if you have loved ones that are going inpatient and there's somebody in your family that's in the healthcare field, Make sure that they are with that family member. You can't trust people nowadays. They be doing a lot of stuff that I'm like, where did you learn this from? Like, who mm. taught you this? How was this standard procedure? A lot of people end up going back into the hospital system because they get infected impatient from people doing things incorrectly. I see that a lot as an infectious disease nurse. So it is, it's, it's sad. And then just wanted to give you a little tidbit. Yeah. So I work now for an insurance company. Um, so I know that there's been a lot of talk about, you know, um, insurance companies. And I used mm-hmm. to always think as well, well, I don't understand why the insurance company, you know, didn't approve this or hasn't done this. Now that I work for the insurance company, I kind of understand that it goes even beyond the insurance company. So like, for example, and I can't talk about all insurances, but like, let's say we're talking about Medicare and Medicaid, right? Medicare is governed mm-hmm. by CMS. So the, the actual insurance company really has to follow CMS guidelines. It's not just their guidelines. It's what that governing entity. Um, Who is CMS? What is Medicaid that? And, um, and Medicare services. Oh, okay. And that is the governing entity. So the people who are center for Medicaid and services are these health people? Are these 
doctors on these boards or these just, you know, blue suits making medical decisions that they don't really know firsthand? That That is the million dollar question. I'm glad that you caught on to that very <laughs> No, they're not clinical people. Like you said, they're just blue suits mm. who think they know um, how things work. Never work the day inpatient in their life, right? But they make five, six hundred K a year. Mm-hmm. And make decisions that affect everybody else's lives or death. Yep, exactly. You got it. And then for like Medicaid, Medicaid is governed by a different entity at a state level, depending on what state. Like, for example, um, I live in ratchet ass Florida, you know, representing for my Florida people. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm from the Bronx. So, you know, I'm all type of crazy. But anyway, that's another story. (laughs) But um, Medicaid here in Florida is governed by a different entity called ACA. So ACA makes those guidelines for the Medicaid plans that roll out. And it can be any Medicaid plan, Stay Well, you know, Sunshine, Humana, whatever it is. Um, it's not up to the insurance company. It's up to that governing entity. They're the ones that make the rules. So it, it the rabbit hole goes very deep. Just wanted to give y'all some insight from somebody working from the inside um, of an insurance company. Okay. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Gigi. You made a lot of good points. Of course. Well, thank you so much, T. Again, I just want to give you your flowers. I appreciate you for everything that you do, keeping your eye on the things that are most important. And I know that this has nothing to do with anything. I just have to say this. Um, I'm so ICDC college. Okay, I'm out. All right, sis. Thank you for calling. (laughs) Yeah, Romeo could have got a nursing degree, but he chose otherwise. (laughs) Let me go ahead and bring on Roz. Roz, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Roz, R-O-Z-E. Okay, she might not be able to unmute herself. Um, Doula nurse, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hi, lovely T. Hey, sis, how are you? Doing good. I had to sneak away from my office to <laughs> come give my thoughts on everything that's going on. I needed to decompress because it's too much going on up there. Oh, yeah. So I know you're in the in the medical field. So how are you feeling about all this stuff that's going on as far as like the, the nurses in New York? And then also, could you hit on the drama with the travel nurses? Because I so know right a now, lot of back and forth with people upset that these ooh. hospitals are willing to pay travel nurses upwards of $3,000 a week. But then the nurses who work in home at the hospitals, they're not making anywhere near that. And the hospitals are saying, well, we're paying them that because we don't have to pay their insurance costs and dental and stuff like that. Um, So I just want to make it clear that it's my admin day, so I don't have no patients. So no, I didn't step away from patient care. I don't have patients today because um, my provider called out. So I've mostly been filling in um, all her paperwork and stuff for tomorrow. Um, so I currently, right now I work as a psych nurse for a nonprofit cause I had to get away from the hospital. Um, and then I also do registry on the side. And what I've noticed since, you know, picking up registry shifts is they'll give you the hardest 
reactions, the worst ratios, and you can't walk out once you um, accept the assignment. Um, they won't, they'll give you little to no details about the facility you're going to be working in, um, the kind of patients you're going to be taking care of. So you kind of just walk into chaos. And so, um, so you're working at different hospitals then it's not a specific one. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, not, not a specific one, but there's like certain ones that I like to work at because, um, they're very consistent as far as the ratio that they give you. But, um, for new year's Eve was probably like the final straw for me because apparently nurses called out. So I did called in to go cover for a facility. And when I got there, charge nurse wasn't really doing much. They were just kind of just sitting around laughing. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm registry. I'm here um, for my shift. Um, I need my login. And they were kind of just giving me the runaround. And I was like, you guys knew I was coming for at least a week and I can't even log into the EHR system. By the time I finally logged in, we're now 1.5 hour into the shift and it's supposed to be a 8.5 to nine hour shift. I'm now having to run around with a med car for 13 subacute patients. And don't get me wrong, I love med search. But when you have patients that are not only um, trait, but they also have a G-tube where you're having to constantly flush it and pass meds, like that's a lot to have. And being in Cali, you're legally only supposed to have five to six. But because of the constant shortages, we're having to take on double the amount of patients. And then it just makes you so anxious that you're going to make a med error because you're popping 10 to 12 meds for these patients. You're giving them injections because they're bedridden and you're trying to prevent them from getting clots. So that was probably like the final straw for me. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this. Like I rather go um be like a doula, do my side hustle, and then just stick to psych. And every day I go on my phone, here's a recruiter. Oh, do you want to take this contract? You know, it's 30 patients for long-term with you, but, you know, we're going to pay you $60 an hour. It's like, absolutely not. I'm not going to risk my license for 30 patients and having to run that med car back and forth, having to give everyone insulin. Everyone needs their meds. This person falls and you got to do... incident report so and then on top of that you're dealing with now who are these recruiters it's just like like where are these recruiters coming from it's like multiple talk about recruiters yeah so it's like multiple nursing agencies like some of the top ones are a uh you know they're probably like one of the best ones as far as like the benefits that they offer travel nurses but they're pretty much okay so you're a travel nurse and your name and stuff is in a database so then they go through and call the different travel nurses and say, hey, we need X, Y, and Z here. This is a situation. Is that how it kind of works? I'm almost like a temp agency. Like how the yeah, temp pre- agency pre- pretty you? much. Okay. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Um, but you never really know what you're walking into. And then you also have to deal with uh, the staff nurses who are upset because, oh, my goodness, they called registry and registry's getting paid this much. And meanwhile, we're not getting paid enough. And it's like, but hey, I've been staff and I know the pay is terrible. So I'm like, if you feel like, you know, staff is not working out for you, you do have the ability to pick up shifts and make your own schedule so that you're not constantly having to deal with the hospital politics. And that's kind of why I had to leave the hospital politics as far as, 
it being whitewashed. You have the white nurses touch your hair because you're black and they see you have these nice braids. Or if you don't really interact with them because you kind of pick up on their energy, they're running to go tell the supervisor, oh, this person is rude and they're not a team player and I don't like them. So I was just like, it's, I'd rather be with the psych patients. Most of my folks that I see, they're very, they're very ill, but they're, but they're very respectful. And my team knows that if we have a violent patient coming in, they know to, to like man the doors just in case, because it's mostly um, women that work for um, the psych facility. And so a lot of us are small and couldn't possibly fight off a violent patient. So I do appreciate that being in this setting, I feel more safe and more protected as far as if I know that the patient is violent or they have a violent history, we, we can do a debrief to make sure that we have the support just in case we have to call a code. But um, as far as like the SNFs and the long-term acute facilities, I would just advise people um, be very careful when it comes to your license. Like if you know there are mandated ratios and you're out of ratio, do not take a assignment. Um, and then you're stuck with um, the liability if something happens to a patient while you were taken care of for, I don't know, 20 other patients. So if your license gets like, so if they report you because you made a mistake, because they're forcing you to work 20, you know, patients instead of three, um, they don't take that into consideration. You can lose your license. Uh, you possibly could. So that's why I carry um, malpractice insurance. I think I bumped up my policy to like 1 million because with COVID, like you just don't know what you're walking into. And sometimes when I see patients and they're like, oh, it's been like an hour and I father still hasn't gotten meds. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm the only nurse here and I'm running the hallway for 13 acute patients. Like I try to give the most important meds first, like as far as insulin and heparin injections. But but as far as like the other meds, if I don't have time, they sadly, unfortunately have to wait. And I try to be helpful to my CNAs. Like if I know a patient needs to be changed, I'd rather just change them while I'm in the room because I know that they have even double the amount. So I might have 13 um, subacute patients, but they could have 26. Wow. Um, wow. This is a lot of info. It is. Like just on. Um, so, so now let me, let me ask you real quick as far as the malpractice, because that was one of the issues that one of the doctors was in a comment about on my page that that's another reason why a lot of young people are not going towards being a doctor because it's twice as expensive now as it was like in the 80s and 90s. And a lot of that is because you had to carry as a doctor the malpractice insurance and it's doubled over the years. So it's almost like on top of student loans, malpractice insurance, these doctors are not living necessarily that life that we all assume. Cause you know, we all assume somebody's a doctor nope. making two, 300 grand a year. And, but that's not the case anymore. Nope. And then I want people to be mindful that there was just a Supreme court case where um, they kind of overturned a ruling where nurses and ancillary staff couldn't be sued. It was only on the doctor. So when that um, I forgot the name of the case. I found it on one of the nurse pages that I follow. But as soon as that case dropped, I kind of went and upped my policy because I was only paying like maybe $40 a year. So I think now it's like 80 bucks 
um, for a two-year time frame because now anyone who touches that patient or went into the health record, um, they've documented that they've done care, you can be sued if something happens um, to that patient. And I didn't learn about this until I was working in labor and delivery and wow. also OB. And I was like very close with the doctors and I was asking them, you know, you know, how much money are, you know, you know, you're, you're paying and malpractice. And when I heard it was like $1,500, I was like, well, no wonder why you're here, you know, 80 plus hours, you're not just working outpatient, but you're running across the hall to go do surgeries and deliver babies. You have to work that amount of hours because you're not just having, um, just for your living expenses, but your malpractice insurance is basically the amount of rent. That's every month they would have to pay $1,500 a month for just insurance, that they're never going to get that money back. That's just in case of something happens. In case wow. something happens. And, and I'm not sure if they have to pay that like every month. I know for like nurses, you can pay the malpractice insurance for like a year or two years. So I'm pretty sure, you know, my doctor said he pays this monthly $1,500. And I was like, well, that's asinine because yes, you're board certified and granted we live in Cali and you might be making a good chunk of amount of money, but we also have to pay state taxes. So you're at least having at least 30% of your income, not only taken for taxes and rent, but now you add the malpractice insurance piece. So that's why I decided not to become an OB doctor because I was like, no, thank you. Like, it's just way too much. The work balance is horrible um, as far as you never have a day off. Like, even if you're working in the clinic for eight hours on your off day, you're going to do surgeries. And then you have your scheduled um, patients that you're seeing. And then if a code happens and you're the assigned doctor, you could be in the middle of seeing a pregnant patient in the OB clinic. And they're like, oh, yeah, doc, you got to come in because you're on call tonight and your patient is hemorrhaging. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to go the nurse midwife route. Um, it just seems there's the liability is kind of the same, but not to the degree of um, an OB doctor. And so it's just a no for me. And I don't blame mm. the nurses that are striking in New York. Um, this, this has been ongoing for years, not as bad as it used to be when I first entered the healthcare field in 2012, while I was in the military and granted in the military, I never had to worry about safe ratios because you're always staffed. You have both civilian and military people coming, you know, to help. So you never have an issue as far as feeling like you're unsafe or that your license is at risk. It's these civilian hospitals where there is no, um, there's no medics to come save the day. It's pretty much the nurses, the doctors, the CNAs, and everyone else. And if they're not there, then, I mean, you're just kind of on your own. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Um, we've learned a wealth of information from you. So I appreciate that. And I'm glad you could talk from the travel nurse perspective, because I know that's been a hot button you know, topic, especially on social media. It's almost like a nursing gang war. You know, the travel nurses versus the ones there. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? It's like they're banging on each other, you know, and it's because it's divide and conquer at the end of the day. You know, can you really be mad at the travel nurses? But then you can't be mad at the ones who decide to stick with the hospitals either. It's 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 sad. It's frustrating all the way around. But thank you so much, sis, for calling in. Of course. Thank you so much for this opportunity and letting just the healthcare staff members um, have the opportunity to vet and whatnot. This is like really good. We probably should do this more often.
Yeah, yeah, no, this is, I'm learning a lot. You know, like I said, I go in as the patient side of it. So I, I technically know what I was going on on the back end. So I'm, I'm learning so much. And that comment section just blew me away because I had no idea. Like, you know, I kind of knew there was stressors, but I mean, you could just feel the energy of people's comments and just how much they were writing. It's like they were just getting it off their chest in the comment section of that video. Like I was in tears reading that stuff. So I just thank you guys for just really being open and honest. Thank you, T. All right. We'll talk to you later, sis. Uh-huh. Now, somebody was saying in the chat, I forgot who said it. They said, do not let people know that you have malpractice insurance. If you have it, keep it to yourself. Don't be running in there telling patients, um, you can't do nothing because I got insurance. Don't do that because then they definitely will sue. You know, we live in a sue happy country. So, yeah, definitely want to keep that, you know, within people um, within a tight circle. You don't want to tell everybody either. But, yeah, it's um, and I see a lot of people saying that, you know, it's almost not worth it to be a doctor because you're having to pay these fees plus student loans. And then we see in other countries where they pay for their uh, their citizens to be doctors. Look at Cuba. You know, they'll pay for everything. They'll cover the malpractice insurance. Um, you know, there's other countries besides Cuba, but they cover it. They want people to get into the into the healthcare system because of the aging population. Um, something's going to have to be done. Even I was very surprised that even one of the comments I read is that even for people who do want to go into nursing, some of them are still having the nerve, like in certain states, they have like these rigorous things where um, if you don't pass this particular exam, that's just the end of the road. You can't even apply for nursing school. And I'm like, why is there a pre-exam? Let people go in and, and apply and learn and, and try and get into this field. We obviously need people. So they're even still doing little things, you know, to play these games on keeping people out. I don't know what the test and stuff like that is called. I just seen people writing it because the one girl said she was very, very depressed when they didn't, when she didn't make it further and she wanted to be a nurse. She didn't pass like the initial test or something. Um, let me go ahead and um, bring on uh, Duchess Six. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Oh, try again. She's trying to unmute it and it keeps muting her. Hi, can you hear me? Perfect. We can hear you. How are you? Fantastic. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. Oh, I think we're all hanging in there by our, the skin of our teeth at the end of the day, to be honest with you. <laughs> because That's everything is an absolute mess. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember the last live that you had and we spoke and you asked me about what was happening in the mm. UK and you did touch on the strikes that we have over here. And I said to you that, you know, the nurses, the doctors, yeah. the paramedics, I mean, practically every um every part of this country is falling apart okay and i'm glad that you're doing this this live because it's yeah. really important and it's incredibly interesting because i've learned a lot about the u.s medical system and the parallels between what's happening with you guys now and what we have already experienced and will continue to experience because the doctors and nurses have come out today to say that they tried talking to the government and uh, they got no play and so they're going on strike again so we've had a whole of december of strikes we've got strikes taken on and now i'm mm. being told that it's happening in new york and i remember when i spoke to you i said to you 
this is going to come to your country and it's come sooner than I expected, but it has come. Mm -hmm. It is going to get worse. Make no mistake about it. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that two things, to be honest with you, that I've noticed watch a lot of American politics, American news, etc. Because as I always say, if America gets a cold, the rest of the world gets, you know, the plague. It's, It's just the way it goes. And what I noticed is over here, there's like there's mass shortages of every sector in the medical field, doctors, nurses, etc., um, which then puts pressure on the service itself. I feel that you're going through the same thing. Now, it's very interesting that the two countries, mine and yours, during the pandemic and before that, who had two very right-wing, very um, anti-immigration policies that they had, actually in this country, and I'm sure it'll be your country as well, then saw a lot of people that worked in those medical fields that were from other countries leave. They just left. If they just thought there's no point in us being here. That exacerbated an already shortage of staff that you have in the medical field. And also prior to the lockdown, you had medical teams over there and over here who were working on goodwill. You know, they'd finish their rotation rather than go home because of staff shortages, because they had patients they want to look after, they would stay on. That no longer applies now because I think during lockdown, a lot of people reassess their lives and realize the amount of work that they're doing for the lack of pay that they're actually receiving and as a consequence of that a lot of people have decided to re-look at their lives and decide you know what I don't need to be doing this at the end of the day and I think that's going to go through sector to be perfectly honest with you I think also the same thing that you have over there I think you call them travel nurses we call them agency staff over here that's another big thing. you guys I think someone said that they pay 3000 for an agency staff, a nurse to go and work in a hospital. Over here, it's £10,000 that they agency staff. You have to ask yourself, if you can pay agency staff that amount of money or an agency to send a nurse to work in the field, why won't you just pay regular nurses that work in that hospital an increased pay so that they can live? and pay for the things that everybody has to pay. So you then have to ask yourself, who owns these agencies? What ties do they have to certain people where the money is going on the back end? Mm -hmm. I mean, over here, we've noticed that a lot of policies that have come in, the people that have making these policies, they actually have a share in the companies that are benefiting from these things. So that's something that has to be looked at at the end of the day. But will this problem get better? I can't see it. I can see that you're going to have these sorts of issues going not just in New York, but statewide, because people are now starting to realise that they have worth. And if you know that you have worth, you will fight for what you believe you're entitled to. And so that's why you're now starting to see these strikes that happened in New York. We've been having them now for months Mm -hmm. and it's going into every sector. It's going into the fire sector. It's going into transportation. It's going into everything. And it will be the same for you over there in New York, in in America, to be honest with you. Yeah. uh, You know, like I always say, follow the money trail. Yes. Because there has to be a reason why they are getting paid so much with the people who work on your own hospital. You want to just give them the bare minimum. And I think that's where all the strife is. You have the nurses fighting but it's the people at the top, you know, paying yeah. playing puppet master. 
Exactly. That's what's happening. And I, and I mean, I, I, I recently saw this whole issue that you've got with Kevin McCarthy trying to become Speaker of the House. And when that plays itself out and they start looking at trying to put in laws for the debt ceiling, etc., and that starts to fall apart, that then means that you default on your debt, which then leads into bigger issues, which then leads into worldwide problems. What I've noticed over here, and it's very similar in America, it's almost like there's this fight to destabilize everything that we knew as a norm. Now, if you're destabilizing the norms, you have to ask, what do they want mm-hmm. to put in its place? I believe that things like, as I believe Medicare and Medicaid is for people that can't afford the full um medical assistance is that correct because we have the national health service here i'm not sure what you have for in mm-hmm. over there is, is medicare for people that can't fully afford their their medical treatment yeah medicare, okay medicare, so i think no, what you're going to yeah, start to exactly. see is that's going to be diminished it's not going to be fully funded they're going to make it so mm-hmm. difficult like they're making over here that people will just say because when your health is in jeopardy or your child's health is in jeopardy you will sell a kidney just to be able to pay for that health care that they need and That is what I think is the model, because the same people that worked in Trump's um, team, such as Sebastian Gorka, Steve Bannon, all these people, once Trump lost, they came over to the United Kingdom and they were speaking to our government. And from the conversations that they were having, we started to see laws that were changing, that we were becoming more trying to align more with America. So what they're trying to do is destabilize the NHS. And people now are so desperate to get treatment, they're actually paying they're going private and that is the model they want to go to and i think it's going to be the same sort of thing in the united Mm -hmm. states of america there is a plan to this it's not this has not just happened organically this is something that is going on um in this country and i'm seeing it now start to happen in your country too yeah because when you think about it with medicaid and and all of these services um, it's a luxury. Yeah. I mean, me and Emily had a conversation about that. In no other country can you, if you don't have food, you just don't eat. There's no food stamps. Exactly. There's no Medicaid. Yeah. There's no, if you're sick, yeah. you better grab some herbs and have grandma pr- pray over you. Yep. There's none of that. Like we don't yep. understand how, yes. how privileged we are here in the West. I'm yeah, telling you. There, I'm there's telling none you. Of that. And I think because of that, it's kind of bankrupt the system a bit and they cannot afford to pay for everybody, mm-hmm. you know? So let's yeah. create chaos. Remember problem, action, solution. Yeah. There you go. There you go. You're hitting the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. We create, we see a problem. We create the problem. We step back. We let the problem play itself out. And then we run forward and we say, Oh, I have the solution. Only the solution mm-hmm. is what they had when they started the problem. And that's what a lot of people are not understanding. I mean, my daughter suffers from a condition. I go into a um, acute care with her from time to time. And I've seen some of these nurses and I've seen some of these doctors. I mean, I'm not a medical professional. I don't work in the field. But the last time that she was in last year, I was running around helping these nurses to assist patients because there were so few of them. And, you know, one nurse, she was only meant to have seven patients to look after. She ends up having 18 patients on the floor that we were on and then upstairs she had another 36 how you expect anyone yeah to oh run from God. place to place i was talking to ambulances who were saying that they're giving up the job they there's no point in them doing this because a they're not earning enough money b they're being leaned on to take on more work and you know it's just not beneficial to their mental health at the end of the day because it all affects people's mental health and that's what people seem to you know, forget yeah. at the end of the day and in the uk like mm-hmm. i said 
I always say to my, my grandkids and everybody else, please, when you come in the house, sit down, read a book. Don't be running about because if you fall and break your leg or something, there's no ambulance mm. coming for you. There is no ambulance. You know, we have people that have fallen on the floor and 15 hours they're laying on the floor and there is no ambulance coming that's how bad it is over here we've got people driving people to hospital by car they have what they're calling now a triage car because there are no ambulances cars are rocking up to hospitals parking outside where the ambulances are the ambulances have got people in them they can't offload them into hospitals because the elderly that are in the hospitals with covid and everything else can't be released because all the care homes that they used to go to have been sold off to private developers to build homes where oligarchs are buying these homes because they're in the middle of central london and so there's a doctor that will run out and go to car to car to car to check on the patients that are in there some of them are in there overnight that's how bad it has got over here you're gonna start this seeing that soon. like a straight so yeah this is a, this is a this is the beginning of society's collapse yeah yes yeah yeah it's almost like you know they're they're killing off people slowly but surely because if you don't have your of wealth, course. i mean excuse me, you don't have your health you have no wealth your health is yeah you have yeah, you have nothing and so if you can't even seek treatment yeah. And you're left in a car for 24 hours. You're literally just being led to slaughter. There's nobody there. And so how can we expect oh, yeah. know, a handful of doctors oh, and yeah. nurses to take care of all these people? They physically can't. Exactly. They can't. I mean, I mean one of the nurses where my... Yeah, that's it. I mean, I remember you saying during the lockdown about the Great Reset. And I think mm-hmm. people misunderstood what the Great Reset would be, some people. And like I said, for me, looking at it, the way that they're going to go about this is whoever dies, that's your lot. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was nice knowing you. Those that survive, they will be working. But the way that we'll be working will be to whatever they decide that we're going to work to. They will decide what healthcare we get. They will decide how much money we'll be able to use, where we'll be able to use it, if we'll be able to have money at the end of the day. Because in China, as you know, you know, your your credit rating and everything is all dependent on how well you speak of the government itself. So, you know, there you go. I mean, say everywhere. Exactly. And that is going to come at some point. Okay, that is going to come at some point at the end of the day. But right now, with the way the medical system is going, I believe that there's a greater plan to this. And I think the greater plan is those that can pay will pay those that can't they will die. And doctors and nurses at the end of the day, I mean, like, like someone said, I thought that doctors in America earn hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's how it's always been perceived. When we now realize that's not actually the case, you know, I, you know, to be honest with you, the, the doctors that will go into private hospitals where the wealthy can afford to live and be looked after, they, that's what will happen. And the rest of us, we just got to scrabble about to find the best care that we can get, to be honest with you, which is why I always say to people, especially people that are African descent, Caribbean descent, try if you can, if you've got grandparents and parents, try and find out the old remedies because trust me, those are going to come back. They are going to come mm-hmm. back. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to learn how to like do splints on our legs. Yes. If you break a leg, we don't know how to do any of that. Because we've gotten so reliant on well, this technology in hospitals. But think about it. Before there was an establishment, if you fell and broke your leg, they put a splint together and they, you know, made, they built crutches. That's what I'm We're saying We're going to have to go back to that, the yeah. herbs and the natural remedies. Because yeah. even now there's a, you guys I mean, also, because here in America, we're dealing with a medication shortage. 
You guys seen that too in London? We have got that really badly right now, mm. really badly, mm. you know, and that, as I said, as a, as a result of the racist policies that have come into play, whereby Brexit, again, people left. As a consequence of that, we are now finding it difficult to source the medication that we need, that we used to be able to get from the European Union quite easily. But of course, Boris Johnson decided to take a deal that would not enable us to be able to do that, which again beggars the question, what was the purpose of that? The purpose of that is then they can set the cost of how much the medication is in this country and we'll be paying through our teeth just like you do in the United States of America. Right now, I can go to my chemist, I can get a prescription and anything that I need, no matter what it is, it will only cost me nine pounds, which is about twelve dollars. OK, I can guarantee you mm. that will go up exponentially with the way that this is going. I see people right now like with me, if I need food now because everything is so bad over here. I don't even bother to shop in the United Kingdom. I hop on a train and I go to Paris. I pick up my food from there and come back because even the food that we have over here is so substandard. It's substandard. You will pick up onions or potatoes. Within a day or two, they're sprouting roots or they're, they're falling apart. That's how bad it is over here. And you will be getting that soon. You will be getting that soon. Make no mistake about it. Yeah. There is a bigger plan to this. Wow. Well, sis, thank you so much for calling in. You always no call problem, in my darling. with the wealth of info, especially from overseas. Because like I say, we're, this is all one big circle. And whatever affects one affects us it all. Is. There is no one. It's over there in that country. So we're all going to be affected by this. Yeah. Trust and believe that. Definitely. But thank you for letting me speak, my darling. You care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Today's show sponsor is Babbel. One of the most exciting things about the new year is that you have no idea what adventure awaits you. For new travel experiences or a new job, you may want to pick up a new skill, and that new skill can include a new language. There's no better way to prepare for 2023 than learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app that has sold more than 10,000 subscriptions. Thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, you can feel confident no matter where the new year takes you. One of the things I'm interested in taking with Babbel is possibly sprucing up on my French. Many of you guys know that I took French all through junior high. I can still have a little bit of conversations with some of my French subscribers when they call into my show, but I would definitely like to speak a little bit more fluently. So I'm definitely interested in trying the French language option on Babbel. One thing about Babbel is that you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson, so you can start having real-life conversations in a new language in as little as three weeks, honey, okay? What I need you guys to do if you want to try it out is make sure you guys go on to babbel.com and use my code Tea time. That is T E A T I M E. Once again, that's Babbel, B A B B E L dot com, and use code Tea Time. So that way you can get a three month Babbel subscription for free. Okay, so they are really hooking up my audience. So please make sure you guys check them out. And don't forget, there's over 14 different languages to choose from. Man, she came through with such a wealth of information. But yeah, this this whole situation goes way deeper than we can even imagine. This is like self-sabotage. They're trying to destroy the whole medical system and rebuild it. Because obviously they have the money to pay traveling nurses thousands of dollars to do the same jobs as nurses who work in that hospital. This is all part of a bigger plan. 
and she hit on a lot of really good points. Let me go ahead and um, bring on, um, let me see here, uh, Juanita. Juanita, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you? I am fine. I'm wonderful. And I'm down here in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. And one thing and you're a nurse? Yes, I am. I've been a, I've been a nurse since 1998. And I just retired. Oh, wow. Because I'm a I want to live. <laughs> I worked mm. at um Grady, which is the public okay. hospital here. And one thing I have to say about Atlanta before I get started, you know, yes, you can always find another job, but the way it sticks down here in Atlanta, um, basically two companies own all the hospitals. There's uh, Wellstar. Oh, wow. And there's Emory. And they own, between the two of them, they own virtually every hospital except for Grady. So if you run into a mm. problem, say at Wellstar, that's like eight hospitals. In fact, the one that just closed, which was a level one trauma center, was a Wellstar hospital. And that's a whole other story. Why would they close? Well, level one- I heard about that trauma center closing. Yes. They didn't have enough staff. Or, no, I mean, there's still a lot of shootings and craziness. It was not about staff. It was about money. Wellstar makes mm-hmm. money hand over fist, but that trauma center, because it was a trauma center, you get people that don't have money. Okay, but there been a the car accident, a shot, or, or jumped off a roof, or whatever, and it costs a lot of money to take care of those mm-hmm. patients. They they didn't they moved everything that made money, like the outpatient surgery, makes money. They moved everything and made money out of there. Mm. And then they just shut it down. And to be a level one trauma center, you also have to be a teaching hospital. So all those residents, nurses, students, all of that had to find somewhere else to go. On top of that, you know, there's an office, doctor's office building, and those doctors were attached to Atlanta Medical. They had to find privileges somewhere else. And, the, the you know, the real deal of it was, you know, and then you talking about janitors, you talking about people in the kitchen, you know, you talking about all these people. Everybody lost their jobs. They shut that down and they said, well, we'll try to place you somewhere else. And if we can't place you anywhere else, we'll give you two months pay. And it, this is the real hit on that because I have some friends that worked there. They found out they were shutting down by seeing it on the news. Wait, so you mean to tell me when my when myself saw it on the news here in Minnesota is when y'all saw it down there in Atlanta? Yes. A lot of those that is nurses, crazy. A lot of those nurses did not know until they saw it on TV or they were working and somebody called them that saw it on TV. They wow. did not have a meeting or an email or anything to tell them that. These companies are insane. So the read and the disrespect. And these are people who have worked there for years. Their yes. blood, sweat, and That's tears. There's yes. no work-life balance, and they couldn't even get a warning that they were getting shut down? No. They did not tell them. They did not have a meeting or email or a huddle or a, 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 a paper, 
paper plane or nothing telling them that they were going to lose their jobs. Wow. And the way, the way Atlanta is set up, just to make it, bring it home, Atlanta Medical was sent in, in central, basically central. So it has good public transportation and all of that. The other hospitals that Wellstar has is out in the suburbs. And the public transportation, they can't catch the train out there. They got to catch two or three buses if they're not driving. Now, you stop and think about it. If I'm a CNA or tech or something, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and, you know, they're not making a lot of money. They own the train for a reason. Right. Now, you're going to tell them I, you got to take a job right. out here where it might be, you might have to take two, three buses. It may take you two hours to get there. You know, if you work second shift, you got to hurry up and get that last bus even. Or you're going to have to take Uber to the train. I mean, it's just crazy. So a lot of people couldn't go out there. So they want a specific standard of nurses. Let's start there. And being that it's out in the suburbs, there's people out there who got more money. Whereas if it's in the city, you're dealing with the poor, you're dealing with people who have Medicaid. Whereas if it's out there in the suburbs, most of those people are going to have private insurance. They can cover it. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Wellstar as a whole made millions and millions of dollars, okay, for a so-called nonprofit. Millions. But it's like the other nurse said, when that COVID money ran out, they got out. So what has happened is is that all of the trauma has come over to Grady. And they've done some, Oh wow. They cuz it's the only level 1 and when you been trapped in a car and they have to take the jaws of life to get your behind out, you got to go to a level 1. But the problem So you guys are the only one for that huge city of Atlanta? Yes. Oh, my God. It used to be two. They shut one down. So what they've done is they've tried to create some extra beds for right now, and then they're going to build some more. But the rest of the beds that are coming online won't come online until the end of this year. So in the meantime, trauma is overwhelmed. I'm an ICU nurse. Uh Uh-uh. No, baby. It's just it's not it's not worth it. It is just not worth it. Um, those nurses. Did you see these last right? This last year, year and a half, that finally said, "You know what? Let me go ahead and retire." I can't. It was the. It was it. It was no lull. There was no lull in the in it in the shit. Okay, I mean, I'm used to being in the ICU. I'm used to patients crashing. I'm used to monitors going off and all of that stuff. In fact, I'm kind of a adrenaline junkie. But I'm supposed to have two patients. Okay? Sometimes they tripled me. Past when they tripled you, mm-hmm. you got one, you had one patient that was really just waiting for a bed to go to step down a message. They were stable. They weren't on drips. They, none of that. That's not the case anymore. Sometimes you get tripled with three sick ass patients. And you run your mm-hmm. ass off because those patients have to be checked. Every hour on the hour, they got all kinds of. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I have had patients, and I am not exaggerating. Where I had nine and ten different things coming through pumps going into this patient, keeping them alive. And I got to keep up with that. You know, I got everything going from 
antibiotics, the fluids, the insulin, yeah. the blood. And it's not on just that one patient. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to only have two like that. But sometimes they'll slide three in on you like that. So you all roller skate. Um, so every time you hear a beat for any little thing, you got to run and see what's going on. So the more you have, it's hard. Because then at that point, you're deciding who gets your care. You're only one person. Yeah, you have to prioritize. You really do have to prioritize. And up there, the patients are so unsafe. I'm not trying to scare people, but it's literally, I'm going to, I remember because I came out of school and went into the ICU. And I have to say that my preceptor, he was hard as hell on me, but he was fair. And he made me into a good nurse. Mm-hmm. You know, but he, it was hard because I was right out of school going up into this. But I knew I wanted yeah. to do critical care. I did not want to do med surge. I do not have a brain for med surge. I admire people that do med surge. I'm not wired for that. So I knew where I needed to go and I got there. But how can I put it? When you're really sick sometimes, the nurse is the last thing between you and death. And I'm not exaggerating. No, you're not. I've been in ICU. You're, you're telling 100% okay. truth. You call that doctor and that doctor asks you, what do they look like? Yep. That, and then sometimes if they're sleepy or like I've grazed in hospital, maybe the resident don't even know what to describe, you know, and they hemming and hawing and you're saying, oh, well, would you like to do this drug or that drug maybe? You know, you're telling him what to do. Yeah. The nurses are really the backbone of any hospital. That's what people don't understand. The doctors, baby. they serve their purposes, don't get me wrong, but the ones who know the patients in and out, because the doctor will only come and see you maybe for five, at the most, 10 minutes, and then he's out. It's them nurses that sit with you day in, day exactly. out, come in and out, you know, write their name on the board, and, you know, they're here for this shift, and then you see them again the next day. You build a rapport with them nurses. It's not them doctors. This is true, and in ICU, a lot of people are on ventilators, uh, and so they can't talk, but you see the family. Yeah, yeah. And you build a relationship with the family. And me, I'm I'm an empath. I try to treat people like I would want to be treated. You know, my mo I lost my mother, and I try to treat people the way I wanted my mother to be treated. And it's hard mm -hmm. because when you're in ICU, when you're in trauma, these people brain haven't even gotten around what happened to their family member. You, you know, you, you have to tell somebody something about three, four times before it sinks in. And, you know, why are you here? Why are you doing with well, this? Keeping their blood pressure up. Oh, I thought their blood pressure was fine. No, it's not fine. If they don't get this, their blood pressure will go away. And so you literally titrating these drugs, mm. you know, all, all night long, you know, giving antibiotics, blood and all that kind of stuff. Plus watching them, you know, because, the thing about being an ICU nurse is you try to intervene at the beginning. You don't wait for stuff to stack up because then you behind the, you behind the eight ball. So you have to be very vigilant. You have to be the kind of person that's very detail oriented. And I'm not, mm -hmm. I loved critical care. I do not like critical care the way it is now because it's, it's too stressful. And then if something goes wrong, they blame the nurse. I don't know if anybody knows this, and the other nurses can back me up on this. If that doctor yeah. prescribes the wrong thing or the wrong amount, they blame you. Because you should know 
what that drug, oh, that wow. that drug was not supposed to be given or that that dosage was incorrect. I am supposed to know that. Okay. Even though it's coming from the doctor who's the doctor told me to do it. It's not a defense. Wow. Well, somebody in the chat just wrote this. Uh, Felicia Harris says, T, I'm a med surgical nurse and we are receiving unstable patients without reports. ER no longer has to give us reports. It's no proper handoff. She's right. Wow. And I ain't going to even tell you what come up from uh, ER up in the unit. Them people hanging on by a thread and, 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 and you get a half-assed report. So they're just bringing them up there to ICU. You're, you're not even knowing if they've been shot, where they've been shot, they how were, much blood they, they've given you, them. If you're lucky, if they've been shot, they've been in surgery probably. And okay. so they come in from the OR, you know, and just coming in and the uh, surgeon is coming and they running off their mouth at a mile a minute because they're trying to get the hell out of there because they know that that patient is hanging on the thread and they brought them up half dead because they don't want to have to count the death in the OR total. They rather for them die in the ICU. I'm just being straight up with you. So when you see a patient come up and you see all of these syringes with like epinephrine, these are things to keep your blood pressure up. I just put it like that. You know, kind of taped on mm -hmm. to things. You know, you getting ready to get a storm. You know, because they jacked them mm -hmm. up just enough to keep them going to get in that bed, and they're going to get that fast report, and then you're going to be left with the bullshit. And then when they die, then it's kind of like on y'all. Then y'all got to deal with putting the body yeah. in the bag. Yeah, and, you oh bag, you bag and tag it. You got to call. The, I, I know that sounds callous, but you call the family if the family is not already there. And, you know, you mm -hmm. tell them that you can't tell them that the person died over the phone. You have to tell them that they need to come to the hospital right away. And mm -hmm. as far as being hit by patients, I've never been hit. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it is when people are in a bad accident or they've been shot or whatever, and they put them in those induced comas. I don't mm -hmm. care how long you're asleep when you wake up. Mm -hmm. You where you were when you got put in. So if you were in a car wreck, you're fighting to get out when you wake up, you know? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, people get hit. I, But it's a lot of time it's not the patient. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, because they're, they, when they last left off, it was them seeing that car coming straight at them. That was their last exactly. minute. Okay, I see what you're saying. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Or if a person, if a person is an addict and or alcoholic, they wake up, even though they've been out for three weeks, they still wake up like they just started withdrawal. It's crazy. It's still crazy. So mm -hmm. one thing I learned and my preceptor taught me is that if they are in reach, do not re only release one limb at a time. And hang on to the straps. So if they try to swing on you, you can snatch the strap down. You might bump their hand and bruise it, but you won't get hit. And I've had to do that. And mm. I think the other thing is, is that by that being, you know, you got a lot of gang boys and stuff. You have to keep the people separate. Yeah, you have, and it's not I, only nurses to yep. keep these crazy Them families will separate. come up there in the in the in the room in the waiting room fighting yes. to shoot up some mess. Oh yeah, yes, I and situations you, firsthand. 
Yes, and you so it's left up to us to try to figure out who's who. You know, they try to put people mm. in different because there's more than one ICU in Grady. So, you know, they try to put the red team over here and the blue team over there. And they and they sometimes they put them under mm. fictitious names because people will come up there and try to finish them off. Try and finish the job. Wow. Y'all did ooh, y'all did what a lot. So, I, I'm learning so much from this entire few, few hours. So wow. it's like it's it's like the most important thing for me, what made me leave was the nursing ratios. I could deal with all that chaos, mm. all the game bangers, all that bullshit. But I could not deal with not being able to render care like I knew it should be rendered. And and I think, mm. you know, there are a few people that go into nursing for the so-called money. But most people that are nurses is because they want to take care of people. They want to help people. They want to help them get better. And when you put in a position where all you can do is mm. hopefully keep your head above water, you can't really render the care. All you can say is, they didn't dial my shift here. That's, that's stressful. That's another form of PTSD. Mm-hmm. I would rather have a better ratio than money. It's the ratio that made me leave. It was not the money. And that's interesting that you're saying that because that's what those New York nurses have been saying all day today. A lot of people thought it was solely about the money and, you know, the drama with the traffic nurses. But if you listen, I was listening to a lot of the interviews from the nurses in New York. They are all saying it's the ratio. They are putting too much on our plate, yet they want perfection. You want me to watch 30 patients, but y'all have exactly. zero mistakes, uh, zero patients waiting longer than, you know, five, 10 minutes. That's humanly impossible for the amount of people that you have to take care of. It's it's impossible. And if you make a medication error and it ends up blowing up, the nurse is the one whose license is at risk. The nurse is the one that gets charged mm. criminally sometimes. And when you dig through it, this nurse had way more patients than she should have had or he in the first damn place. But that's not considered. None of that is considered. You made that mistake and that patient died. It's your fault. You know, so that's why a lot of nurses are leaving the bedside. I'm going to say this. I'm going to leave it alone. There is not a shortage of nurses. Mm -hmm. There's a shortage of nurses willing to work at the bedside. Put up with that bullshit. I'm just going to say it like it is. Put up Mm -hmm. with that damn bullshit. They bring in travel nurses. They pay them extra a whole lot. They, They pay for them somewhere to stay. They even give them a per diem to eat on. And then they can't pay me you know, another $10 an hour. Right. They don't make no make damn sense. sense. If they got enough money, <clears throat> excuse me, to pay those travel nurses, then they got enough money to pay me. Okay. No. No, <clears throat> and, you know, I know Georgia is a right to work state. And I don't know if the nurses will ever get up. And it's kind of hard here because, like I said, if you get. It's only two two systems to work for. If you want to work for somebody else, you literally have to go out of town. Yeah, because again, if there's only two systems, if one, you know, they're talking, so they're gonna label you as a problem nurse. Well, the other they're not gonna want you. Exactly, you're gonna have to go. You're gonna have to leave town or go into yeah. something completely different. That's you know, that's if you've already 
landed in your passion, then to have to do something different is stressful. You, you see what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you, how can I put this? Yes, nursing allows you to do many different things. You know, you can do computers, you can do all kinds of stuff. But if my passion was critical care and I could no longer do it like I felt I should. And that's why I left mm-hmm. because I didn't want it. It was beat. It was, it was caused me to almost have a breakdown because it was, I would go home and think about, Oh God, did I do this? Maybe I should have done that. Oh my goodness. Oh my, I couldn't compartmentalize it anymore. And that's the only way you can survive. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it is so bad. I'm going to say this. I swear I'm through. I had bronchitis. I'll never forget this. I had bronchitis. I could hardly breathe. They begged me to stay because they could not find another nurse to take my patients. I said, well, I have to have a breathing treatment. Mm -hmm. The only place I could get a breathing treatment was in a room with a corpse in it. I sat next to a corpse Mm. and got some ebuterol for 15 minutes so I could open up enough to finish that shift. That's how crazy it's gotten. Hmm. That's wow. how damn you sitting up next to a damn corpse to get some embuterol because you got bronchitis and you really should be home. They keep you living, right? But they can't let you go. So you're sitting up there next to the hmm. dead man that family just left out the room, and you just gave everybody a box of Kleenex, and they over there talking to the uh, chaplain now, and you're sitting up there. <clears throat> next to the damn body bag waiting on the funeral home getting that butyrol treatment. And let's not forget that the ER knows that the person died and they want to know how soon can they get to bed. Mm. So sometimes when you come in through the ER because you're having a, a medical situation or a crisis, somebody could have just died on that bed five minutes ago. Exactly. Oh, I never thought about that. They go in there, clean that room, and put the next one on. Mm. That's that's just that. When you go to the hospital, just go with the mindset that somebody probably died in every bed up in here, and I'm not gonna be bothered by that. That's true. I'm not. That's not gonna be my problem. And the other thing I would say is, if you have a loved one sick, please be up there with them. Those people need their family to advocate them. Do not be scared of the doctor. Write your questions down. Make sure he answers them like you understand them. And always remember, he works for you. You don't work for him. It's his job to explain what the hell he's doing. He's not supposed to run in there in five minutes to come out. And then when I come in, I'm supposed to explain what the doctor told you. Right. Yeah, you got to be your own advocate. I'm a strong believer that, especially if you're black. You got to be your own advocate because a lot of times we don't get the care. You know, we'll get misdiagnosed no, and get, you know, moved on and everything is asthma with black people. So, no, there's, there's real shit out there like blood clots. I mean, they diagnosed me with asthma. I didn't have asthma, but they didn't want to be bothered. You know? Exactly. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm saying. When I was there, time I was in the hospital, I hate to say this, but I didn't just broadcast I was a nurse right away, but I was watching everything mm-hmm. they did because... And I ain't trying to throw salt on nobody. They dropped the doggone pass rate here during COVID from 75 to 60. 
And I have a good friend of mine that passed on that 60 and he called hell because he didn't know enough. And that's where you get the older nurses not wanting to train the newer nurses because they know less now than they did when they started. It's like when you preset somebody now, it's almost like you have to take them through their whole last year of nursing school, what they should have learned, and then teach them how to do what you're doing now. And, you know, I'm not saying everybody is like that. I'm not saying that. Okay, so don't nobody get their feathers in an uproar. But I'm saying that I have ran into people like that. And it's not their fault. It is not their fault. But when you older, you know, I'm 60, okay? My nerves ain't like they used to be. They should have caught me 20 years ago. I had a whole lot of damn pain. <laughs> and you know, you asked me something that I know damn well you should have come in here knowing. I might snap on you a little bit, if you know, especially if I ain't had my coffee and shit. Now, I'm just, I'm just saying I don't do it because I understand that the young ones are the future. Right. You know, and I'm not mean. I, tr- I don't do tricks on people. I don't do that. Ch- but I'm human. You know, if I've told you right. how to do something two, three times, baby, write it down or take a note in your iPad or whatever the hell they doing now. But don't keep asking me the same question. You need to learn that. Yeah, because they, they can memorize all types of TikTok dances and song lyrics. Same thing on the job. Bust out that notepad, bust out your your, your phone, and take notes. Exactly. I That's what I had to do. Yeah. I had to take notes. Because my preceptor told me, the first two times you ask me this question, I'm going to answer it. The third time you ask me, I'm going to tell you to figure it out, because I already told you twice. Okay? Mm. So that put my ass on notice. I wrote everything down. I know. That's right. And I'll never forget well, that man. And, or, his, or his name is embedded in my brain. <laughs> The first day, that's how he started off with me. I said, yes, sir. I got pulled up my notepad and I got to work. Yeah, you had a good teacher. And, and that just, that says a lot. That says a lot. But Miss Juanita, thank but you I'm so let, much. I'm going to let you go. You know, yeah. I don't shit to the new ones. Because we need the new ones. I don't believe in your young. Yeah. You know, I want the babies to, I want the babies yeah. to survive because their nerves is fresh, their backs are good, and their feet ain't fucked up. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. And, and thank you. Thank you for your years of service, Miss Juanita. We appreciate it. And thank you for just calling in with just everything you said tonight. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to receive it and absorb it. So thank you so much. You will. Bye. This show sponsor is Rocket Money. So welcome to the new year. It is officially 2023. Say goodbye to last year's outdated, disorganized method of managing your money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions, it monitors your spending, and it helps lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Simply find the subscriptions that you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or the tedious emailing back and forth. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money and they're saving an average of $720 a year. Well, this summer, I realized I had been paying for stars 
every single month. And I hadn't even been on that app in months. So they were just getting all types of free money. And literally, it took so long to finally cancel them. But if I had used Rocket Money, it would have been a lot quicker. Rocket Money will identify these subscriptions and help you stop paying for things that you no longer need. So that way you can save your coins, okay? So to stop throwing away your money and cancel all unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way, go on to rocketmoney.com slash lovely tea. Once again, that's rocketmoney.com slash L-O-V-E-L-Y-T-I. So make sure you guys check them out to keep your finances in line in the new year. She made so many good points. Oh my gosh, she was funny. She said them bats is fresh and they feet ain't fucked up. <laughs> she made some good points. So it is 645. I know we got a lot of people on the line. We got over a thousand people in here. So let me go ahead. I'm going to keep calling some more folks. Let me go ahead and bring on uh, Kiuna D. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hey, T. Thank you for bringing me on. Uh, my name is Kiana. But oh, Kiana. Yes. <laughs> Okay. It has a U in there. That's what had me confused. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, so I am an EMT and an, um, an MA. I work at an mm, urgent okay. care. Um, and it has been an interesting experience. So I just recently finished with schooling, um, just now getting into the clinical aspect. And I kind of just wanted to touch on the understaffing that's going on. So with the job that I applied for, they were hiring anything from EMTs all the way up to RNs. And if anybody knows, that's a broad range of skill levels. So I took on this job and I'm realizing that I'm doing things as if I am an RN, but being paid as an MA. So I'm... So MA is medical assistant. Right, correct. Okay. So I'm going in and doing everything that an RN would do, which is a, a traditional registered nurse does, and also doing what the lab tech does, the radiologist does, the pharmacist does. I'm doing all of these jobs in one job. Mm. Now, you said you're also EMT. So do you also work on the ambulance? Like, are you going to go pick up people from their homes? No. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe I got that mixed up. So that is what EMTs do. Um, I just don't use my license in that way. Oh, okay. So there's different ways that EMTs work. So you don't necessarily have to be in an ambulance. Right. Oh, Correct. So that's another strange thing because of the shortage of the shortages of nurses. They're allowing these other medical personnel to work in these jobs because there aren't any nurses that are doing them that are coming in that are wanting to do them because they're overworked. Hmm. Okay, so because of the shortages, now they're letting people who would technically, you know, be EMTs and ambulance people come into the hospital to also work and care on patients. But what you're saying is that you guys are not getting paid like our ends. Right. The pay is uh, completely different. And you're still we're still being overworked the same way as the nurses would in doing things that are pretty much not out of scope, but kind of out of your scope that you're not that's not in your everyday title to do. And with the urgent care, um, I'm also in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So with like uh, Miss Juanita was saying, with the hospital closing down, it forced a lot of patients into these other facilities. So everyone is just jam packed full of patients and extremely overwhelmed. And it's everything is very, very fast paced. Wow. 
Well, that was like the other young lady that called in earlier. She was a pharmacy tech and they had her doing chest compressions because the other two nurses got tired because it's a lot to do chest compressions. So they had to grab the pharmacy techs and have them do it, you know, to throw people into life or death situations that they're not prepared for. I can I couldn't even imagine. Right. Well, that's all I wanted to say to you. I know you have other speakers coming on. Thank you for bringing me on to speak. Definitely. Thank you so much for calling in, sis. All right. Let me go ahead and bring on Cam P. Cam, go ahead and unmute your mic. Hey, lovely T. Hey, T. Sippers. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hey, how are you? good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Yeah, yeah, like all of us, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I am an RN. Um, I have uh, my whole career has been in long term care. Um, I live in Ohio. In Ohio, we don't have CNAs. We have STNAs because they just wanted to bump it up. They're more uh, strict um, in Ohio. Um, So STNA is just a state tested nursing assistant, but it's the same as a CNA. But I started off as a then I became an LPN and now I've been an RN for four years. Um, I worked this past weekend, um, at a, a nursing home. I was like an hour and 15 minutes away from me more in the country. And it was a mess, <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. kind of always been a mess at that facility, but it was more so I just hadn't been out there in a while. And just the staffing staffing has been bad, you know, just period, uh, before COVID it was bad. Once COVID hit, it definitely got worse. Um, in long-term care, we typically are having more patients. Um, I ended up having 26. Having 30 patients is not unheard of, especially on third shift, because you uh, usually have less nursing staff in the building, so you um, end up getting more patients. Um, usually, uh, third shift is more quieter than the rest of the day, so it's kind of like, you know, you can kind of maintain um, all those patients, but really, you can't. The nursing ratios are just crazy. Ohio uh, does not have like a patient to um, nurse ratio. So really you could have, I'm going to even say like 50 plus patients. Um, Myself personally, I would not feel comfortable with the situation like that. Um, Also to the new nurses or those who don't don't, um, also know, if your assignment, if you feel too overwhelmed with your assignment, You have the right to call the sheriff or the local police department, especially if you reached out to management. You know, you're supposed to reach out to management first and management isn't answering phones because that happens a lot, too. You have your directors of nursing, uh, your unit managers, administrators. Nobody answers the phone and you can't get in contact with anybody because they're stressed out. They're overworked. You know, they uh, have to come in and and take shifts, you know, because people um, maybe the schedule is correct, but people don't show up to work. So, and that's a real bad issue too, is that, um, people just don't show up to work. <laughs> You'll be on the schedule or you will accept an assignment and they just don't come to work. So that also causes the issue with the staffing, but, um, you can call the local police wow. department, um, or the sheriff and say, Hey, I don't feel comfortable here. I have too many patients. I'm a nurse. I do not feel that the patients will be safe. Really. If you put it more on the patients not being safe, then they'll more so come and, you know, assist because Mm -hmm. you can throw out, yeah, it's my license, which it is, protect your license, but they're not trying to hear that. It's more just like, okay, this is your job. This is what you signed up to do. You need to do it. But if you say, I feel that the patients are unsafe, 
they're going to definitely send an officer over there and the officer is going to uh, get in contact with somebody in administration, whether it be that facility or higher management. So I will say, don't ever just take an assignment um, that you just think that you just have to have that assignment or saying this is what you're supposed to do. If you don't feel comfortable and you can't reach management, you call the police department. Um, now, let me ask you, when they give you guys that amount of patients, 30 patients, how long is that time frame? Like you have 30, you have how many hours to properly take care of 30 patients? Is it until, you know, 18 so, hours from now, an eight hour shift? Like how do they figure out what you can physically do with 30 patients? Typically with 30 patients, that's the first shift, which is typically like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift. That's a first shift and a second mm-hmm. shift uh, position uh, amount of patients. So you can have that. And the second shift is like 3 p. to 11 p. Um, that's just like a normal day, to be quite honest. That can just be a normal day in the neighborhood <laughs> that you have 30 patients in long-term care. On third shift, when you know, your 11 mm-hmm. p. to 7 a. shift, you will end up having more than 30 patients because uh, you're taking on more um, assignments because the nursing ratio or excuse me, the staffing ratio goes down because the acuity isn't as high um, at nighttime. Let me say it shouldn't be as high um, at nighttime than what it will be during the day shift. Um, So, yeah, that's just and then you can work all different types of shifts. Um, I've worked four hour shifts. A typical, uh, and it all depends. Some facilities do eight hours. Some facilities do 12 hours. Um, If you do a double, that means that you're usually working two shifts, which is two um, eight-hour shifts. So that's 16 hours. But lately, I've known times when nobody shows up. There's no staff. Um, And depending on how the nurse may feel, you know, or depending on who, you know, a staff there, because sometimes if you have a good enough staff, you know, or people that you work with, you know, that, you know, you can get the job done properly. And at least, like I always say, keep everybody alive and off the floor, you know, (laughs) Um, you can, you know, maybe take on more patients or may feel comfortable taking Mm -hmm. on more patients. Um, and there have been times where people just, they don't show up. So you can either make that decision if your shift is ended, like, Hey, I'm going to go. Or you can sometimes stay. It's really illegal to work 24 hours. But um, I have known like some nurses within the last, you know, after COVID um, that have worked at least 24 hours, um, which is really illegal. But, you know, it, they, they did what they had to do. Now they were bonused, you know, for it. Typ- nobody's typically just going to say, oh, I'm going to work, you know, get my regular base pay for that. No, you're going to have to give me some more money, you know. The more um, pressure that's putting on my license, the more, you know, money you're going to have to give. And I will say there is money out here to be made. Um, some of it is kind of uh, drying up now. Um, I've even heard of like uh, some of the traveling nursing assignments have been uh, drying up. I pers- I work for agency because um, I was full time. I was working um, at least like 36 hours a week. And I pretty mm-hmm. much almost had a mental breakdown in August. Um and thankfully, you know, my husband was like, hey, you know, like, you need to take some time off. So um, I was able to, you know, kind of uh, ease back on the hours. And then my son's daycare ended up closing in September. So I needed to just stay off anyway because he goes to kindergarten next year. And we just kind of decided I work here and there, what they call it, PRN. 
I work here and there and pick up some hours and some shifts and, you know, kind of make it work. And, you know, we got to, you know, skim back on a few things. But yeah, I got so stressed out that I was ready just to walk away from nursing. And I was I was thinking about um, applying at Progressive. I know uh, like we had uh, uh, groups or Zoom meetings before and uh, Rejoice was talking about, you know, cybersecurity. So I had even kind of got interested in that. I still actually am. Um, but uh, yeah, I was I was ready mm-hmm. to leave the nursing field. And really, a lot of my um, nursing friends, my nursing buddies, they felt the same way, too. Um, I know a nurse who was working in the ER. She's fantastic at it. And she said, I can't do it anymore. So she actually transitioned to um being like a wound nurse, um, a nurse educator and like a long-term care facility. Um, I've known people that become critical care nurses, um, hired uh, just straight off of um, being new nurses. And they also too, you know, said, hey, I can't do this. It's too much stress. And, you know, they have either like transitioned to like a maybe a slower paced position or they just, they just walked away. And yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of time. But thank you so much for calling in, Cam. I'm going to go ahead and get to some more callers. But I appreciate you calling in, and thanks for your service as a nurse. Oh, well, thank you very much. Everybody stay healthy. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay, let me go ahead and bring on Alexis Simmons. Hey, T, can you hear me okay? Yep, I can hear you. How are you? Oh, great. How are you? I'm actually from the Discord in there. My name's Pumpkin Not Spice, um, but I am a healthcare worker. I'm not a nurse, though. I work in the back end of it in admin, working with insurances. I've done scheduling work. I've been a case manager. They also call it utilization review, where we work directly with insurances to figure mm-hmm. out if they're going to pay for your services or not when you come to the hospital. So, so what are some things that you're noticing in your position that's changed over the past? So I started working in healthcare in 2018 and dealing with insurance from then to now, there have been a lot of changes. I think you've talked about it as well, where some medications are no longer covered by insurances, depending on what kind of plan you have, it may pay more for a medication or for a visit or surgery procedure, et cetera. And now, like you said, there's the insurance premiums and you're getting less benefits. And then if you end up staying in a psych hospital, which is where I was a utilization reviewer, they are constantly looking at your clinical notes. So if your notes that the doctor or nurse practitioner wrote that don't match exactly what insurance wants you to say, they will not cover for you to stay there more days, even though you need that kind of help. So now all of the insurances that you guys deal with, you guys have to submit it to that, to that department. The lady was talking about, it was like a, like an acronym. Um, CMS. Yeah. So they, they come up with all the guidelines for the Medicare and Medicaid insurances. So now what they're doing is they're requiring more authorizations, meaning we need to get approval from them before they'll even pay. And even then they might not pay. And years ago, you used to not ever have to get authorizations for surgeries for straight Medicare, traditional Medicare patients, the disabled, the elderly, et cetera. But starting during the pandemic, they want you to get um, authorizations. 
option for certain procedures. So if you don't have that authorization from insurances, there's no guarantee that the patient's services will be covered. And they're more and more strict with it now. So then, so you're the, are you the person that comes into the room and you bring the paperwork before like any care takes place? I used to do that before, yes kind of in the same room, but now I'm in the background where I never see the patients. I'm working behind the scenes, making sure services get covered, talking to the nurses and doctors. Okay, they've been approved to stay at the hospital for seven days based on the clinical documentation we Mm -hmm. sent. And if you're even missing a word or a phrase, they'll deny it right off. So basically at that point, somebody's care can really highly depend on what insurance will cover Yes. And as a in utilization review, I was constantly fighting back and forth with insurances, trying to explain that someone really needed that treatment just because it didn't specifically say what they needed it to say. They need it to be here. And if you do that, you have to do a peer to peer, meaning the doctor has to talk to another doctor at the insurance company and decide whether or not they'll approve it. And that can be a hassle because you have to schedule it within wow. the insurance company's timeframes. So if they only do it Monday through Friday from 8 to 12, the doctor or the nurse practitioner or whoever has to hurry up and call and hope that they can get a spot so that we can review it and get the patient coverage. It's insane. Because I have noticed um they're not keeping patients in hospitals as long as they used to. No. Because I remember uh, when I had my surgery uh, in 2017 versus the surgery that I did last December. Um, in 2017, I was in there for about four days. They allowed me to, like, you know, start the healing process, do physical therapy, get the meds. In 2021, when I had my surgery, it was literally within 24 hours I was put out. It's as if it was an outpatient surgery. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, you leave tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? I said, two years ago, I was here for four days. And they left me with like not the same amount of medications. I had to fight to get my medicine. I talked about that on Discord. It was a mess. They literally put me out within 24 hours after my surgery. And they said, we just can't keep you here. Um, one, it was insurance. They were overwhelmed. Patients, it's like, well, you made it out of surgery. You're alive. Now go home and do your physical therapy. And so I've noticed a lack of care. And this was the same hospital, just, you know, like a three-year time difference, same doctor. So it's really crazy how much like it's changed. Like now they're literally putting people out. You can't stay even if you want to. They're discharging. Yes. And really it's like the insurances are dictating your care because I I bet you they said, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, her surgery was something she can go home in 24 hours for. We're not covering anything more than her being there for 24 hours or less, which they call authorization, not authorization, goodness, observation. And it's insane. Mm -hmm. And sometimes doctors and people Mm -hmm. like me behind the scenes, we get so tired with trying to that sometimes we have no choice but to send people home because there's just not enough time to get the approval. And I hate Mm -hmm. it because like you said, people need care. Everybody doesn't heal at the same pace. And it's crazy to me that insurance gets to dictate how long you can stay in the hospital, how much they'll pay for your surgeries. And like somebody said in the background, once you get into billing and claims, it's still not a guarantee that they'll pay anything. So then patients get a bill and go, well, I don't understand. I had an authorization. Insurance will come back and say, oh, well, the doctor 
X, Y, Z. You didn't try this amount of medicine. You didn't try this amount of therapy. So we denied it. And then now you're in a battle doing that. Yeah, it's, so, it's crazy. Yep, it's crazy. They will send you that bill. Yes. And it's just like, even the bill I got this time was definitely not the bill I got last time. So I don't know, but I just ignored the bill. Like, well, this bill can kiss my ass. <laughs> Thank you for the surgery, but I don't have it right now. Shit. You know what I mean? So I'm like, this makes no sense because the bill three years ago wasn't this much. But but it's getting to that point. Like, who? Y'all need to go send somebody a bill with triple digits. Like, what in the world? <laughs> and it's insane. And then, like you, like we were saying, yeah, it's more and more. And then you're paying more for insurance, and you're getting less benefits. You're getting less of what I think you're paying for. So I just wanted to chime in from working on the back end of healthcare and working with the providers, even though I'm not hands on, trying to be like the middle ground between the providers and insurance. Definitely been crazy on this side well thank you so much for calling in i appreciate you're welcome definitely calling in with the wealth of info (laughs) you enjoy your night um alexis and thank you for your hard work oh thank you guys let me go ahead and bring on nublia in the sky go ahead and unmute your microphone hey t happy new year (laughs) happy new year how are you good good can't complain uh so um, I, I think you know this from like the Discord that I started working in healthcare uh, last year, um, and this is my first time working in healthcare. Um, before I used to work in marketing advertising. So the one big difference that I noticed in working in healthcare than like before is just the amount of requirements just it's needed just to be a healthcare worker. Like you need all these shots, all these vaccines, like all these things just to even start. Where like before it was like I that was just all like foreign to me. But I thought that was really weird. But um I work in healthcare administration and one thing that I'm I'm learning a lot about like healthcare administration is there's this I don't know if it's like um like an act or a law in the United States, but it's called 340B. And basically what 340B is basically like a law that I guess the U.S. passed saying that if you are a fed- federally qualified like healthcare organization, um, a lot of pharmacy, uh, a lot of pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, they must require discounted for uninsured patients and a lot and a lot of I, I just found out like a few weeks ago that like about like 18 manufacturers including um Eli Merck and Gilead have basically restricted or eliminated access to this program which is basically going which is, was basically going to like uninsured patients or like low income or who can't pay patients and i feel like that's one of the, the indicators as to like why there's such a big push to like mm-hmm. save money because this was an like additional revenue for a lot of these organizations and hospitals so in my opinion like we should also be looking keep it real <laughs> okay like keep it 100 like we are that the pharmaceutical industry plays a big role in healthcare, um, whether like financing and so forth. And I like the conspiracy me is kind of thinking like maybe like instead of like, for example, this money going to these hospitals, like I wonder if like the bigger picture is if like a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, they just want to start their own healthcare organizations and skip like the middleman. Does that make sense? 
you know, so yeah, it'll be like I a Pfizer healthcare that. clinic or a Johnson and Johnson healthcare clinic. And therefore they don't, does that make sense? So therefore yeah. they don't have to go through this like big intersection deal with insurance and everything. It'll just be kind of like a one-stop shop. Um, and if you kind of think about it, I forgot, I think Amazon, I believe they bought this like healthcare insurance. And I remember this was like a while ago that I think like Jeff Bezos, he wanted to do like his home, like Amazon hospitals. So like, <laughs> like what happens in the future is like, oh, in the future, you'll be like, oh, if you're an Amazon prime member, you get a discount at Amazon hospital or something like that, you know? So I have a feeling like they want to like skip like these middleman people and these pharmaceutical giants. They just want to be like the main source, if that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't even know about the Amazon hospital. I'm looking that up now. But yeah, there's yeah. an Amazon care to launch across the U.S. And this was in 2021. Mm-hmm. So they have like clinics and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not playing. And if you kind of really think about it, there has been a lot of medical startups started like since the pandemic i mean i know you can buy a lot of like i mean like like hair loss prescriptions over the counter you can buy like um like viagra over the counter uh you can buy like all these things just online through prescription and i think a lot of these companies are thinking like instead of just going to a healthcare clinic or to a hospital to get like regular medication why don't you just download the app Mm. do a virtual visit and get it delivered does that make sense yeah, um, I'm pulling up another article from July 22nd, 2022. Amazon to buy one medical um, for yep, $3.9 billion as it expands the healthcare footprint. Yep. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. Think about this, because I'm not from the, from the healthcare background mm-hmm. like you are. But what I do know is the financial background. Mm-hmm. That is the same thing that's going on in the financial background. Remember, Mm -hmm. when you think about banks, you usually think about brick and mortar, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you know, credit unions. And so now what you have is a bunch of um, companies coming together and saying, hey, you guys don't have to get your loan and put your money into Wells Fargo. They're giving you zero, zero, zero point one percent interest. Okay, we don't have a brick and mortar, so we have no open. So come to such and such bank and we'll give you 3% interest in high yield savings. So yep. it seems, I, yep. I always have to look at things from like mm-hmm. the financial part, that stuff down. So it seems like for you guys in the medical field, that yeah. makes perfect sense because that's what the banking industry did to break up the monopoly, the monopoly of the brick and mortar. So now I don't have to go into a yep. Wells Fargo. I can do everything yep. through my, you know, online bank, which is more convenient. And I get, you know, my high yield interest. So that is to me like the formula that Amazon is trying to do mm-hmm. with the medical establishment. Yeah. And I think what they're really trying to do, if you kind of really think about it, like, for example, like I have like I talk to my therapist like once a week and and like he bills me straight as if it was like a regular office visit, but it's a virtual visit. So think about money they're going to be saving if they could charge a regular visit but it'll be all virtual they'll still charge as if it was like an inpatient visit but think of all the overhead they don't have to pay for the maintenance for the hospital maintenance for the staff the greeter everyone it'll just be all done virtually so it'll just bypass everybody and it also let's not forget the metaverse is coming very soon so i wouldn't be surprised if like the metaverse plays an impact in the future as far as like healthcare and like seeing a provider you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's very interesting because 
but the thing too, though, with medical, like, yeah, that can work fine for banks, mm-hmm. but when people are physically ill, they're still going to need to physically see somebody and do physical and blood yes. work. Like, you know, yeah. virtual is cute mm-hmm. if you have a cold and you know what's wrong and you just need some, you know, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you have a, a, a ruptured gallbladder, I, I don't want to sit and talk to you virtually. I need to get to the ER. <laughs> so that's the part that's right, kind of, you right. know, sticky. Or is it going to be a situation where maybe they tell doctors to do house visits like back in the day? You know, where you have a doctor who lives in your neighborhood uh-huh. who's a part of this Amazon system and they can come and treat you in, in your home. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I could see that. In your home. Yeah. And think about it too. Like they have metrics system. Like you think about it, if they're able to do like an Uber Eats and everything like that. Like what makes you think like in the future, it'll be like an Uber medical or a medical professional will come in. And like, I think they'll probably be able to do like there's just a lot of opportunities in this. And I, I don't, in my opinion, what they're trying to do, and I think what a lot of people are kind of saying, and they're trying to really put a lot of pressure in these like healthcare organizations and hospitals because they want to set the blueprint for the next phase of healthcare. You know, like if that makes sense. And like, let's just keep it real. Like yeah. healthcare, like <laughs> at, at sometimes, I don't want to sound bogus, but I sometimes even want to call it like sick care because like they don't profit unless something's wrong with you, you know? Like, Facts. It, yeah, it's not healing anymore because not, if it was about healing, they wouldn't, everything wouldn't be pop a pill. Oh, you're depressed. Oh, exactly. you know, you have anxiety, pop a pill. As opposed to back in the day, there were, there were all these pills for you to pop. Go outside, move, meet people, mingle, go have a picnic, you know, like yeah. physically do things, you know, go sit in the sun, go walk in the <laughs> dirt. There was no pill. And like you said, the, the money is now, it's not in the cure. It's in the medication. It's, it's to keep you, you know, strong on these pills that you have to take every day. Yep. And it's the point now where a lot of this medicine that we're on, because we are addicted, yep. we need them to survive at this point. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one last thing, I posted it on the Discord in the COVID room. Um, there's this documentary that I saw on YouTube. Um, it's pretty good. It's about like an hour and a half. And it's about this doctor that he basically found a cure for cancer. Uh, it, I think he had like a very like a 90, 90 over like 90% cure. Oh, was it like that yeah, Russian guy? That Russian oh, yeah. Guy. Yeah, YouTube was like really pushing that this weekend. I watched like the yeah. first 30 minutes. I got to finish it. Yeah. And like how this guy was like literally like treating all these patients successfully. And like the FDA, right, came in and was like, uh, yeah, we don't like we feel that what you're doing is like you're helping people. And therefore, like we want we want to take away your license. But this is. Yeah, but remember, they did the same thing to Dr. Sebi. Yeah. Remember, Dr. Uh-huh. Sebi was curing yeah. HIV and, and mm-hmm. syphilis and all types of stuff back in the day, you know, with natural herbs and stuff, and they shut that down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, it just makes you wonder if, like, the healthcare organization, the system, right? And I'm not, not I mean, I don't want to like talk down to like doctors and nurses who truly care about people, right? That's not who I'm talking about. But the whole system in general is like forced to, to make you wonder if like, like they don't want you here. Like it's like, it's almost as like they, they want you out of here. They don't want you to live a long, healthy life. They want some sort of chronic illness from you. They want some sort of something wrong with you. And it's just like a, a, a whole system of it. And it, it's scary, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Because yeah. think about it. You have people who have real chronic illnesses and real diseases they might have been born with. Yeah. And then you have the regular, the rest of the population, right? You're healthy. You're not sick physically. Now what do they push? 
mental health, mental health, mm-hmm. mental health. Now everybody exactly. has mental health issues, bipolarism, anxiety. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's almost like if we can't find a physical ailment, we're going to come the mental angle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like they'll find one way or another to get you. And it's all like these, all these organizations are like working coherently, even though they're not supposedly like supposed to like work for each other. It's like a system, right? Cause like how many times do you see people who are like top executives in a pharmaceutical company end up going to like the government side? You know what I'm saying? So, so common, but, right. but that's all I got to say to you. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And thank you about that Amazon clinic. I'm going to have to research that more. I didn't even know they were getting into the healthcare field. Mm-hmm. I'm not shocked. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, happy New Year's team. You too. Have a good night. Are you- All right. Let me go ahead and bring on Joelle Smith. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you? Good. It's funny. People always say Jewel, but it's just jewel, like jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Please call me fancy with a jewel. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, just adding everything. But um, so I'm a CNA. Um, I work in a nursing rehab center, and of course, mm-hmm. the main thing we're talking about is just it's just a shortage of staff. And I I empathize with the nurses that will have like 30 patients to take care of. But imagine a CNA. Uh, hold on, Drew. Yeah, sorry. I'm talking to my sister. Yeah, I'm using mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, but imagine having like 30 patients that are so heavy, you got to change them. And like, I had to change like a 300 pound patient. Like, imagine all that back breaking. Got to get multiple people up in their wheelchair back into the bed. It's, it's so hard. And of course, like, mm. it's not enough of us working. So it's not like I can just... I'll go to my coworker and be like, hey, can you help me put this person in bed? They're too busy, you know, and we're on a clock, you know, eight hours is not enough right. to take care of 16 to 30 people. It's ridiculous. And then not only we're shorted of staff, we're shorted of supplies. Like there's no spoons for the nurses to give out their medication, no briefs, which technically it's like diapers for adults, but I call them briefs because I don't want them to like sound like children, but yeah, no breeze to change them, no soap, no linen, no sheets, right. towels. I'm just like, how am I supposed to give the proper care to my patients? Mm. And you know, we have family members that are mad at us because it's like, why isn't my um father uh take his bath yet? Sorry, there's not enough people working in the back to wash all these linens for you and the DON they get upset with us we're just like why isn't enough mm. a lot of people in the activity room well oh there's not enough supplies for me to get ready for them you know all that stuff take care of them and then on top of that they get upset with us too because they want their nursing home to have a good look right so they force some of these um elderly people to get up but they don't want to get up and they have mm-hmm. the right to refuse Right. But even though they refuse, they say, no, get them up like they have no say. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is this isn't right. Like if they want to stay in bed because there is so much pain, they have the right to do that. But because the administrative want their building to look good and seem like people are doing things and it's a nursing home, like they're going to be tired and pain. They got dementia like it's normal for them to be in bed as long as like we're positioning them and giving them proper care, but they be so hard on us. And I remember. 
I heard that the nursing homes are like probably, I'm not going to, not talking disparagingly, but one of the worst places to work in the medical ecosystem, yeah. I guess you could say. And especially with the way a lot of CNAs are treated. I see a lot of CNAs in the chat that are really happy that you caught in because it's almost like CNAs are treated as like the stepchild. Like you guys are just there to, you know, just in so many words, just clean a patient, change diapers. And, you know, it's more to it than that. So it's almost like you guys get a lot of the brunt work and the dirty work without half of the respect. Right. And on top of that, they make us seem like we're the janitors too. You know, they say, well, if the patient mm-hmm. room like this, you need to sweep it up. You need to clean off their dressers. You need to do this. Oh my God. The amount of cockroaches I've seen in a nursing home is ridiculous. And I, I bet they still blame us. They'd be like, well, because, you know, the patient left their food on the ground while you were feeding them and you didn't clean it up and all these roaches in here. I'm like, how is that my fault? Like, you need to have more janitors in here to do the proper care in this room. Like, there's just so much that I can do. And I know um, the other nurse, Juanita, she was saying like, oh, yeah, we need the young nurses. And I'm like, I'm 25. And, you know, I feel old. Because I'm doing all of these things. I have all these mm-hmm. tasks and I only have a limited mm-hmm. time to do it. And I, one thing I just really want to stress about is I'm really nervous with the future of CNAs. I don't know um, if you've been in the, mm-hmm. like, in actual nursing home, whatever other stuff. But I don't think it's even nursing homes, probably hospitals too. But I've noticed a lot of CNAs are like 45 plus I'm like I said, I'm 25. I don't see nobody working as a CNA my age. So I'm just like, I'm very nervous. Once these CNAs retire, who who's going to do this work? You know? Yeah. And that's the problem that a lot of the workforce is facing right now, because one CNAs don't make a lot of money. I remember when I was going to go to medical school um, after I had my oldest son, and so that was one of the choices, CNA, LPN. I don't even think they have LPNs anymore or RN. And everybody was like, do not do CNA work. You're just going to be wiping ass the rest of your life. That's literally what people told me. So I was like, but then RN just seemed to be a bit too much for me. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do the LPN right. program. I only lasted about maybe eight months and I ended up dropping out, you know, but I did learn a lot in, in those programs and stuff like that. It's, it's just a lot of work. And for me, mentally, it was just a lot for me to try and get into the medical field, plus dealing with a chronic illness. It was a lot. So I I really respect people who do things like that, because when you're sick and you're not able to care for yourself in the manner that you would when you're healthy, it is the CNAs that come in and bathe you and make sure that you're okay and make you feel human again. People don't understand that when it comes to patient care, that, you know, a lot of people who end up in the hospital even I don't care if you're a regular patient in the hospital or you got into a car accident, it's your first time. You just want to get back to your regular self. You just want to feel human. You know what I mean? So I know for me, I've always loved a lot of my CNAs because they really would look out and just really take care of me. You know, and to me, you kind of even become closer with the CNAs and even the nurses and the doctors because they're kind of in and out. But the CNAs are coming in there, sweeping and cleaning and we're watching talk shows together, laughing, you know. So, I mean, I I really appreciate you all because it's not easy. (laughs) And you figure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, average size. So I could not imagine having to lift somebody who's 300 pounds and you're like 130 pounds. 
And that's a lot of work. And so if you guys are understaffed and you guys don't have enough people to help you roll these people over, like when you get bed bash, you got to roll them. You know, they can't just get up. So it's like a whole method. And it would help if the patient can help roll with you. But some of these people, they can't. And they're just big as hell. So it's just like... No, no disrespect, but you know, this is why when doctors talk, people need to <laughs> listen because they're not coming from an arrogant point of view when they're saying people really need to watch what they eat, their diet, exercise, work out. Because if you get sick, there's a 130 pound 25 year old who has to take care of you and you're morbidly obese. Like they're not even saying that to be mean. People don't understand the stressors that on the people who have to take care of people in these situations, you know? Um, So it's, it's a lot of work. And I just, I I wish that you guys got the respect that you guys deserve from the medical establishment, because most people are doing CNA work as an ends to justify the means, you know what I'm saying? They they eventually want to move on to RN and nobody wants to say, forever but you're right it's a lot more older people in that field because a lot of young people are like absolutely not and unfortunately what's going to happen what's what's kind of happened too over the past i would say 10 years right on social media we've made a lot of um am i fat shaming facts but they will call it fat show okay i was about to say like please don't sound fat shaming child i'm trying to keep it real thank you abraham yeah it's not it's not fat shaming you know it's just being realistic like this really affects people like when people think well i can just eat to my heart's content it's my stomach well yeah if you you know but then if you get in the hospital everybody has to deal with your stomach and the weight you know so it's very real but um in the past 10 years, I think what has really happened to y'all's generation, right, is the fact that social media, reality television, this celebrity worship, we have made it where blue collar jobs, nursing jobs, hardworking jobs, jobs in the sector that have to help people, we've literally diminished them and made them seem like these jobs are beneath Like you're not nothing if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're not an influencer, if you're not a celebrity. So we've kind of demonized these blue collar jobs, these medical field jobs. And now what's happening is 10 years later, we're looking back. All of those people from 10 years ago, like um, like Miss Juanita, they're all getting ready to retire. Well, who's replacing them? It's not really your generation because your generation is busy chasing back Instagram and trying to snatch a P. Diddy. You know what I mean? They're trying to live these these dreams because they feel like, well, I'd rather, and no no disrespect, <laughs> I'd rather hold myself out and get bags and show off on Instagram and be an OnlyFans chick and make all this money than go to school because we made it so unattractive. And the truth of the matter is everybody can't be an entrepreneur. Right. And people don't understand that when you work for yourself, everybody is your boss. And most of these people who are out here selling these entrepreneurial dreams and, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm this and that. A lot of their money is having you fall for their dream. A lot of this shit is like a pyramid scheme that people aren't even realizing. They're buying into this facade and it's really, oh, well, you want to be like me? I got a course for $500. Well, you're not really an entrepreneur, you're a grifter and you're selling courses to maintain your lifestyle. So we have to find a way to make it more attractive and the only way i really believe that they'll be able to make these type of jobs attractive to this and i'm not trying to disrespect your generation 
but this generation is very self-absorbed, right? No disrespect. So the yes, only way to make this appeal to you guys, where you guys will say, well, fine, let me leave this Instagram facade and go into the real world and find something, they got to up the pay. There's no reason with the job that you're doing, the back the yep. breaking labor, the cleaning, the fact that you're doing five jobs in one, there's no reason that you're not starting at 25 bucks an hour minimum. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to be transparent. Um, when I was working my staff job, I was only getting paid $16. And I'm just like, well, I don't blame my generation for not even going into this work because I'm like, why would I do this type of work when I can just make stupid videos and dance and look pretty right. on social media and get paid for it? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm no, not trying to brag, but like, I'm pretty too. So I'm just like, why? Right. That's I'm what I'm saying. This. Like, this is ridiculous. And it's just like, I feel like I'm doing an awarding job, which CNAs you are. Like, most mm-hmm. of these patients, they're like, I'm not saying nothing against nurses, but, you know, we see them more. We're answering the call bell lights. We're doing all the little stuff and they really do appreciate us. But it is just so hard feeling that appreciation with the pay that I'm getting and how the administrators are, uh, you know, taking advantage of us. Like, I remember my got upset with me because I didn't want to pick up on my day off. I already did four days straight, 12 hours, and that just wasn't enough for her you know, enough for them. So I, I don't, again, I don't blame my generation for doing that, but at the same time, who are going to do this? Cause these people right. are going to retire. We have some serious work to do. I don't know what's going to happen, but social media is not going anywhere. It's so, not what people also need to understand with social media, right? That influencer bubble has popped. Okay. Morphe just announced this weekend without telling their staff, their workers, they have gone out of business. If you remember, Morphe was king in the makeup sector. All those, you know, beauty gurus and my Morphe brushes and getting all these, you know, sponsorship deals. That influencer bubble is popping. Okay. Even with the Andrew Tates of the world, not even speaking on his arrest, because that's a whole nother story. He was selling young boys these dreams of entrepreneurship. I got a Bugatti and a Lambo and None of that stuff is realistic because, again, when you think about how he got that money, sounds to me as everything's coming out of the wash, he was a big old pimp. You're using other people to fund your lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? So that's where people need mm-hmm. to understand that. I don't care if it's social media or if it's a real world job. Everybody is struggling right now. Um, Spotify don't got no sponsorship money right now. Yeah. Keeping it real with y'all. I'm not getting paid for this green room. Oh. They don't have no more sponsorship what? money. But it's okay, though, because I want to talk to y'all. I want to give y'all a platform. So it's all right. It is what it is. And we Yeah, so there's a lot of things that are running out. And that's why I tell you, you have to have multiple hustles. All that talking down to people, being arrogant, talking down to your nine to five workers. And, you know, you're on this social. I'm up here and y'all are down here. Y'all are workers and I'm a buy. All that, that facade is crumbling. You are now seeing the folks who really have it and the ones who don't. That's why they're on OnlyFans, selling their souls, Mm. showing every orifice, okay? And at the end of the day, I know it seems like this is menial work and it could even seem somewhat beneath you, but I just want to thank you for hanging in there 
because understand that it was CNAs and nurses and doctors who like saved my life multiple times to where I'm able to be here. You know what I'm saying? So just know that even if you don't get a thank you, and I know you guys deal with racism and crazy, you know, old people with dementia and getting hit on and stuff like that. And it can be a thankless job. Just know that you are doing the Lord's work. And that is what I want to leave this entire, this entire evening with. That you guys, you doctors, nurses, retired, still in the field, thinking about changing the field, you guys are doing God's work. And I don't ever want you guys to forget that. That doesn't mean that you can't move on to greener pastures or switch, but just understand that even if you never get acknowledged, even if you never get TikTok famous, just you being you in that time and space is making a difference in somebody's life, even if they never show you appreciation. Right. Well, thank you for having me up here. Um, I'm actually not going to be a too long. Yeah. I just um, enlisted for the military, okay. so I'll be going to boot camp on the 18th. So it was nice talking to you guys. Definitely. And remember, y'all are appreciated, and we need you guys. Definitely. Um, Good luck on your military career. Thank you. Thank All right. We'll talk to you later, sis. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take one last call. It's almost 8 o'clock. I don't want to keep y'all on here for almost four hours. <laughs> but let me go ahead and bring on Bree C. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hi, T. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? We can hear you perfectly. How are you? I'm good. I have my son there. He's ready to go to bed, but I'm holding out. <laughs> um, <laughs> had to represent for the New York nurses. Um, so you're in New York. What part of New York are you in? I am actually located, I live in Westchester, but I work in downtown Manhattan, baby. Mm, So are you part of the nurses that's striking? Um, No. My job, the organization I work for, I'm not going to say their name, they are non-union and they Mm. are not striking, but I have a lot of friends who are definitely affected and they already had been left to go travel because New York is just a hot mess. It's been a mess even before the pandemic and the pandemic just came through and like Miley Cyrus and wrecked everything. Oh my God. Um, So I actually started during the pandemic. I started working in a nursing home. And when I tell you our population was decimated, we didn't have PPE. And to this day, New York, the federal government, I think New York State was supposed to give us all like a check for the work we did during that time. Story short, because I changed jobs since then, apparently I don't qualify. So I didn't get any of that money that was given out to all the other nurses. Whatever. It's fine. I'm over it. Not really. But I've recently moved into pre-surgical and I would just advise a lot of my nurses out there, if you can try to move into a more smoother type of situation. Yes, being one-to-one on the floor with your patients is amazing, but the work that they want you to do, the pay that you're being paid, it's not worth it. As that young girl just said, we're we're breaking our backs. And I was a nurse, started as a CNA. I actually started in the kitchen in the nursing home and worked every single job on my way up. And I've experienced what it feels like to turn those 300 pound patients and only be paid at the time for me, it was $18. Um, mm-hmm. Then it moved into nursing and was had the crazy staffing issues in the nursing home. Watch 30 patients. You're the only nurse with maybe one or two texts in the middle of the night. 
And then now, you know, when we're in the hospital, we also have crazy ratios. I worked for a different New York City hospital and our ratio was at 1.11 patients per nurse, which this was post-surgery. These people were really sick. And where I was working, we had every and anyone walking off the street. We'd have patients attack us, all types of things. And Mm. when I tell you those nurses who still work at the hospital, they work so hard and I feel so bad because that hospital is seen as one of the worst New York City hospitals. But it's not because of the staff. It's because we don't have supplies. We don't have adequate staffing and we don't have the support of anybody really. Wow. It's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. um, let me ask you, so where did you end up leaving when you left nursing? You said because you left and you didn't get the package and all that stuff. I actually started traveling. So you're doing traveling and nursing. I, well, now I'm back in New York. So I traveled up to Albany and mm. worked at a hospital up there. And then I came on a travel assignment back to Manhattan and I accepted a staff position there because pre-surgical, honestly, if you're a nurse, I would recommend to all my nurses, that's the route. Um, but it's really a lot. It shows you a lot. Traveling can show you the disparities in nursing because up in Albany, the population is totally different. We had all our supplies. The ratio was great. I think the most I ever had was six patients and those nurses Mm. were complaining, but down in New York, a densely populated city, there's a lot of crazy in New York. We would have 11 patients plus admissions and discharges. So patients are going in and out. You have to coordinate their care. Plus you have to give meds and treatments and make sure you're on top of everything. It's ridiculous. So I know, so being that you've done both, you've been staffing, you've been traveling. Do you understand the drama that these nurses have? Like, do you feel like, is it fair that they're paying traveling nurses more? Or do you feel like, you know, Hey, you can always be a traveling nurse if you want to. Um, honestly, as a staff nurse who's with a decent agency now, it's decent, not great. I think it isn't fair. They're bringing in talent from other states or other parts of the country or even the state that don't know anything about the hospital, don't know anything about the protocol. And they're giving them three days orientation because this is what happened to me on every travel assignment. You get three days to figure it out and you have to Mm -hmm. hit the ground running. That is extremely dangerous. And if you're not somebody who picks up fast, um, you definitely can make a mistake and mistakes in the medical field can lead up to anything, including death. So rather than having travel nurses come in, they should just pay their staff and the staff actually have good relationships together. Right. But when you're coming in as a traveler, you're kind of like the odd man out. They give you the funky assignment. You know, it's it's kind of grueling unless you renew and renew and kind of build a relationship with the stuff that's there. But there's mm-hmm. no camaraderie. And nursing is like anything else. It's, it can be a team sport. It should be a team sport because we have some crazy stuff that walks through the door. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can't do it all by yourself. If I'm in the middle of a code, I need Sally to go and pass my meds. If I'm, you know, doing wound care, I might need somebody to check on my patient who's on a vent. Mm. So it would be much better for hospitals, healthcare agencies, for them to pay us and to give us the benefits that we actually need. And that goes for the CNAs as well. Because like I said, I've started from the ground up and we were not being paid for the stuff that we actually had to go through and experience, the abuse that you experience. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. And even worse, one more thing I really wanted to add was how I, I believe I heard today Mayor Adams here in New York, he's mm-hmm. wanting to do something with the homeless population. And his big idea is to basically hospitalize them. But they don't want to pay nurses. So you're going to increase the crazy that walks in the door. And who's supposed to watch right? these people? Like, who, exactly. Who, who, are the, who are the glorified exactly. babysitters? Exactly. Gonna, who's going to cook for them? Like, exactly. I don't know. It, this and, whole and country they is... don't want to pay for them. They don't want to yeah. pay for any babysitters. So it's just a clusterfuck here in New York. Um, I don't know. That's why a lot of my nurse friends, they started traveling because they were like, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to get paid. Or they started moving into school nursing and other more like lay uh, positions, things like that, trying to go up the ladder to administration. But just being a floor nurse or, you know, a CNA, you really get beaten down and you don't get the the pay, period, point blank. Forget the respect. We need the money. That's what we need. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for calling in, Bruce. Very good talking to you. Yes. Thank you, T. (laughs) Definitely. And thanks for your service as well, sis. Bye. All right. So I want to go ahead and also bring on uh, Chandra. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hi, T. I'm well. Good night. How are you? I'm doing okay. I heard you say that you're down there in NYC with the strikers. Yeah, so I work in New York City at one of the strike hospitals as LPN, but I work at an outpatient facility. So what's happening is they're actually deploying some of the doctors in order to take place of the RNs. And because of that, they're like canceling the appointments. I'm not sure what's going to happen throughout the rest of the week, but I know throughout the hospital itself, they're deploying doctors from all over from different facilities, and they're also deploying LPNs. Now, at my facility, they're not deploying us because it's um, an umbrella branch, but all the direct facilities that work directly with the hospital, they're deploying the LPNs to also work in the hospitals to cover in place of the RNs. Wow. So in a minute, because it's, yeah, that's over 7,000 jobs to fill between these, because there's two major hospitals right in that area that, that are striking right now. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So a lot of patients' appointments got canceled today, and I believe also for tomorrow as well. I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the week. I'm just keeping my ears and eyes open to see what happens. Now, I also heard that they're sending uh, patients, the ones that are like in more high risk situations, ICU, stuff like that. They're sending them to other hospitals. They're transporting them. Yeah. Yeah. They. So if you had like a major surgery or you're hooked up to like any type of machines, like a high acuity patient, they're sending you to another hospital. Wow. And all the surgeries that were scheduled were most likely canceled and have to be rescheduled. Which sucks because a lot of these surgeries get scheduled way in advance, months in advance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, you can't um, go through The downside to this is mm-hmm. these hospitals actually were on strike last year as well, but not for the RNs, for the LPNs through a different union because the LPNs are covered under a different union. So they're constantly, constantly, constantly going on strike because they refuse to give the staff what they what they need and what they want, which is better patient ratios. 
So the so the LPMs they had their strike the year before, and they didn't learn anything from yes. that. No. <laughs> you, you can't they, make this they up. Had a strike. Yeah, they had the strike last year, or they were going to go to strike. Sorry, they were going to go to strike, and they came to an agreement. And one of the things that happened to them to go to strike was because the government gave out a bonus. And the facilities, most of them, the hospitals and nursing homes were not giving them out. So the nurses were just like, you know what? The nurses and the CNAs, because they're also under the same union, were, just, were going on strike. And I think the day before they were going to go on strike, they came to an agreement and they said that they were going to pay out the bonuses. I don't know if they end up paying out the bonuses because I worked agency at the time. So I wasn't entitled to the bonus, but I believe that's why they end up not striking because they came to an agreement and they said that, yes, they were going to pay the bonuses out after two years of receiving the money. Wow. So now are you out there on the picket lines? No, I am not out there picketing. But um, honestly, if I could, I probably would just because I do plan to go back to school to get my RN. And I'm in total agreement with the RN. They definitely need safer staffing um, ratios because it's the same thing in the nursing home where I work. Um, we need safer ratios. It's not safe for one nurse to be working with 50 patients in a nursing home for one nurse to be working with five high acuity patients in a, in a hospital. You know, it, mm. it goes beyond just pay. And I think people don't realize that because they think, oh, we're just doing this for the money. No, if something happens to you in the hospital, it all falls back on the nurse. So not only do we have to take the liability of if something happens to you, but we also risk losing our license. And a lot of nurses work very hard for that. Yeah, no, I've learned so much because I had no idea this whole ratio thing and how it broke down. So you guys have really educated so much of us um, tonight, you know, and, and it just makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody else that came on the line and spoke their piece and all the people that work in healthcare. It's definitely trying. And like you said to Joel earlier, you know, like we definitely need the CNAs. We definitely need the MAs. We need the RTs. Everybody, we need them. Trust me, because we are severely understaffed in every area of of healthcare. Yeah, y'all got to come together because it's, it's all one big moving piece. You know, even the phlebotomist and the, you know, radiation techs, all that, you know, they're, they're also needed. I know I saw a lot of them complaining too, like, I'm a, I'm a, um, I work an X-ray and I need a pay grade, you know? So it's like everybody, you know, needs this. So um, I think the nurses are fighting for everyone, like they're setting a precedence and hopefully they understand how much. We're going to need healthcare. Everybody's getting older. Okay. We don't live in the quantum realm. Nobody's getting younger. So what is going to happen when we have a whole generation of kids who don't want to do nursing, the older generation be tired of dying off, then what, you know? Well, that's true. A coworker and I had a conversation regarding something like that. And we basically came to the conclusion that, you know, they're trying to get rid of people physically in healthcare and it's all going to be electronic. 
You know, and mm-hmm. I think somebody else had mentioned that earlier with the virtual and um, the online appointments. And we discussed, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Big Hero or Big Five. I forget the name of it. But there's this like electronic marshmallow looking thing called Baymax. And it basically scans you and tells you what's wrong with you. And my coworker said she feels like that's going to be the future pretty much. Oh, yeah. Big Hero 6. Yeah. All of these jobs can be replaced. That's what people don't understand. People thought that the medical field would be the last thing to ever be replaced. Like, oh, yeah, it's just the fast food workers. Who cares? McDonald's workers always have attitudes. And it's like, "Mm, yeah, don't celebrate them being replaced because nobody's job is safe. Even mine. We have robot influencers. I'm in competition with damn little Michaela. So, you know, like nobody's job is safe out here. Nobody is safe. Mm -hmm. Nobody is safe. The only people that are safe are the IT people because they're they're the ones that have to come in and fix the machines when they're broken. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for calling in, sis. It was good talking to you. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. Thank you for the platform. Definitely. And thank you for your job well done and for helping out the patients. All right, so I'm going to bring on um, two more. I know we're already hitting 8 o'clock, but a lot of y'all were screaming that y'all weren't ready to go, child. So <laughs> let me go ahead and bring two more people. So let me go ahead and bring on Bev. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hi, T. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you perfectly. Like fine? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so T, I'm an LPN, and I recently went to Montana to do travel nursing because of what was happening in New York city. Mm -hmm. And we knew way in advance that this was going to go down. We had a whole heads up. They've been talking about this since actually October. And the thing about it is, is like they kept telling us as LPNs, well, y'all better talk to the the RNs because if the RNs go on strike, y'all have to go in the hospital and work, but you will be working as an LPN. All the, assignments for like the LPNs that they're like um that are supposed to be in the clinics you don't have hospital experience you don't have bedside experience you're not equipped to sit here and deal with what they're going through in the hospital so you're coming in there you don't know anything and you're just being thrown out there and it's one is one LPN for every 20 patients wow so you literally have people that are not qualified to be there doing um, ICU care and everything else. And they have no idea what they're doing. And even with a few of us, a few of us were like, we don't want to go. And then they were telling us, if you don't go, don't bother coming back at all. You will lose your job totally. Our union is eleven ninety nine, and our union says that we have to do it. We don't have a choice. So they're basically making you feel like you guys are just replaceable. We are. Wow. They don't know all the time. That hazard pay that we were supposed to get for COVID, I've been a nurse. I've been working it. I only got $1,000, and that was for the last three years. <laughs> okay. They haven't given us anything else apart from $1,000. But, yeah, if you look on our check stub, it says we got $3,000. We got a $3,000 bonus that we never got. And when you try to talk to somebody about it, they yeah, tell you. Yeah, talk to anybody? They, you cannot reach anybody that will talk to you about it. They, everybody tells you it's above their pay grade. It's always the same thing. And it, it's a few of us. We all go to it. We went to the union about it. We keep complaining about it. Nothing. They keep telling us, you'll get it. You'll get it. Eventually, you'll get it. That is crazy. Um, 
Wow. The, the thing like that they always tell us well. is they always tell us to just be happy you have a job. So when we complain about certain conditions, not having equipment, not being able to sit here and even deal with certain things, like I've worked with medical, I've worked long-term care, I've worked psych, and I could tell you this, even with my psych patients and the most violent psych patient, I am more safer with them than I am with a regular medical patient. That's how abusive they are. You don't know what's happening. So what are you experiencing specifically from the medical? So these are just regular people who are coming in to get care versus, you know, the psychos, right? Quote, unquote. They spit on you. They beat you. These are regular patients. Regular patients are worse than psych patients. Hmm. They spit on you. They beat you. They berate you. You have some of them that try to sexually assault you. And the hospital tells you that you can't say nothing. You can't do nothing. You know what you signed up for. You came into the school. You know what you signed up for. Be happy you're here. One thing I can tell you is that even when I worked at a long-term care facility, there was one night that there was five codes in one night. So five people died back-to-back in one night. And they have this thing where all the LPNs have to show up because you have to do CPRs, you know, and nothing. And I'm looking around and I'm like, where is everybody? There's only two LPNs for six floors, which means that I don't even know that it was only two LPNs for six floors. If I'm already taking care of 41 patients on one unit, what makes you think I'm going to be able to take care of another 41 patients on a whole nother unit that I never got any report on? I didn't know nothing about. There's no... There's no RNs in the building. There's no doctors in the building. And please don't call a doctor. They will curse you out. They do not want to hear from you. They don't care. Figure it out. We'll just come through and sign. Mm. So it sounds like the whole medical establishment is literally falling apart from the inside out. This is like the medical establishment of yesteryear where everybody kind of worked together as a team. I work for Montefiore, and I think the worst thing that Montefiore did was doctors would pass by and they would be laughing. And they said, if you come to Montefiore Hospital, you're only coming to die. Wow. And the doctors say that because at the end of the day, they don't have actual doctors in the hospital. They have student doctors that are supposed to be learning. They're supposed to be presenting with somebody, but there's nobody there for them to percept from. So they're learning from the RNs. So you're not even really seeing a doctor. If you go there, you're you're only going there to die. They don't care. And then uh, Montefiore pissed me off when they said, well, you're working six days a week. We have you here for nine hours a day. Um, We know you say you need to go to the doctor and you need to check about your health, but we have time for that. You can't go. And if you do not show up and, you know, for your shift, then we're going to write you up. This is a problem. You have to be here. We don't care that you you don't feel good. We don't care that you're going through this. And then they'll tell you, well, we, we're Montefiore. We have money. So why don't you just come get this overtime? But yet, soon as the strike happened, and mind you, LPNs at Montefiore makes $27 an hour. I made more than that when I was a CNA. Mm-hmm. 
So they'll tell you they have money. They'll cut, they'll cut your pay down. They'll do everything they have to do to you. And then they'll threaten you every single day. For the travel assignment, as soon as the strike happened, I got a whole alert on my phone that said that New York City, Mount Sinai was offering $10,000 for a travel nurse to come through. What? But you won't pay. So they was already pitching for travel nurses, but not for the nurses that are outside asking for just simply, you know, conduct of, um, you know, patient, you know, equaling out the patients. That's what the word is called. So they're not even willing to acknowledge that raise their pay but they're willing once again to pay for travel nurses if we have nurses that we can send alerts to why not hire them outright so that way the patient to staff ratio is not crazy where nurses are having to take care of their patients in the shift but you see and montefiore is offering five thousand for travel nurses to come through but we're just asking for like a dollar or two especially if you have us here all day you won't let us go if you leave and say like you leave a patient, right? Your shift is over. The person came, you gave report, or even say like you're in a clinic. Clinic is closed. You leave and say like you walk out that door right before that patient, even though that patient is 30 seconds behind you, you abandon your patient. If something go down and say like, you know, something happened with the doctor, they did X, Y, Z, they ordered something, you gave it to a patient, that's on you. Whatever happens is on you. A CNA is working there, say like a, a patient fell, this and that. That goes on your license because the CNA works under you. So it's like when you're there, you have to literally be in control of everything that's happening because everything is going to get thrown on you as the nurse. So when you walk into work every day, every day you're afraid because you don't know what's going to happen. You can only pray that hopefully when I go to work, I come out the same way that I went in. And then hopefully nothing is wrong with my license that I don't lose my license today. Wow. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Bev. I appreciate talking to you. That's a lot. You know, good luck with everything and thank you for your service. You know, hopefully things will eventually get better. I mean, that's something we can hope for. They're going to have to figure this out. Because it seems like the whole system is broken from the inside out, from the top to the bottom. It is. But have a good night, y'all. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. We're going to go ahead and try Ken Wu again. Go ahead and unmute your microphone. Okay. Looks like her mic is not unmuting. All right. Let me take one more person. And then we'll be out of here. Um, Ayana. Ayana, if you could go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hello. Oh, Hello, my. Hi. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I was ready to go to sleep. Hey, um. But I'm so sorry, <laughs> but I am a new nursing graduate. Um, I actually just graduated in December. Congrats. Thank you so much. It was definitely a long time coming, but, um, oh, so you just graduated. Wow. Yes. I'm fresh out the school and I am extremely, are you RN? Yes. Uh, RN program. Yes. So I'll be okay. on the oncology med search floor and I'll just say, 
been doing like student rotations and actually have been in long-term care facilities and actually do work at a hospital right now, hands-on patient care. It's extremely dangerous. And I do want to say, Percy, one of the worst places that I have been at would be a long-term care facility just for the simple fact of how I've seen drugs administered to these patients. I mean, they're sharing, they're literally sharing prescriptions and then giving it to the patients who have like the same prescription order. And then even in some instances, you know, like you're withholding an actual medication intended for the Mm -hmm. person, but you're passing it out to everybody else because pharmacy can't get you what you need. And so it's... Mm, So they're having to share and split up the drugs. Literally, because you just, they just can't get it in. And it's been so many times that I go to my nursing preceptors you know, I'm talking to my mom because she uh, she works in the healthcare field and she's just like, you literally have to only watch out for yourself. I'm like, but mom, this isn't safe. This isn't right. She was like, you have to protect your license. And if you do anything, make sure you do it anonymously because you will potentially, quote unquote, get blackballed from working in so many positions. And I'm just like, what? And it's just hard because you have so many people saying, you know, looking down and acting like they don't see anything. I'm like, how does nobody see these medication errors, these dosage errors? And then, you you know, it's kind of hard for me as a new nurse, you know, just kind of say, well, you have to look out for yourself. And I'm just like, it's 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 just terrifying. And so, you know, now here I am, I'm about to be on the floor <clears throat> and I'm still getting told by a lot of nurses. They're like, you have to look out for yourself. Even going as far as, um, you know, if another patient needs your help, they're telling me, well, you won't even have time for that anymore. You just have to pay attention to what you have. I'm like, I can't sit here and let another person who's sick possibly actually having a serious medical event going on. Just look at them and keep going. So now when they give you that buzzer to hit, we're like, oh, just hit the bell. The call light, anything. it takes. Who was in charge of coming to that takes, room? Yeah, it takes light. so long sometimes. Who was supposed to come when I hit that so, call light? <laughs> yeah, it does. So the PSA, <laughs> so like the nurse's aide is supposed to come. Even the nurse is supposed to come. Our hospital has been so overwhelmed mm-hmm. right now. We, I'm not even going to lie. Sometimes people do forget that people hit it, you know, would hit their call light. And I had went, you know, walked by a patient's mm-hmm. room. She's screaming, help, help. And I'm like, okay, ma'am, how can I, <laughs> you know, not my patient. I'm like, how can I help you? And then she was like, I really, and you know, they're apologizing saying, you know, I'm so sorry, but you know, she, you know, like she, uh, she went through her depends and she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to call you. I'm like, please don't feel bad for anything that you do. Like it's my job to literally help you. It's just, I'm seeing so much going on. And like I said, I'm a new graduate. I'm 23 and it's, I'm already feeling overwhelmed, if that makes sense. And I haven't even personally like really hit the floor by myself. Like I'm not even done with orientation yet, but seeing all this come at me, I'm like, Mm. and I don't regret anything that I did. I, I definitely know that God put me here to help other people. I'm not regretting being a nurse. But I just need to find like a way for myself to really make sure like this isn't like, excuse me, but like kind of fuck my head over and make me just want to leave the bedside and say, okay, I'm out. I don't want to be like 
one of these nurses that I keep on seeing coming in, coming in, and they go out as fast as they come in because they're like, nope, this is just way too much. So was a long-term care facility, is that a nursing home? Is that um, a new name for nursing I'm home? So, uh, sometimes I kind of use them interchangeably, interchangeably. So like sometimes if like you're in a long-term care facility or like assisted living, you know, you might have like um, people are admitted there. Like a brain injury? Uh, yeah. And sometimes you have like a lot of trach or I'm trying not to use these big words, but like people who are like on the vent settings and then, you know, they put them in there and they get like specialized care kind of like in all these things, people who might have like chronic issues. I kind of just throw a lot of the words in there. I'm sorry about that. But there are people who are in there indefinitely for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's really hard. It's really hard to take care of them at home. Right. So somebody said that they hear the call light in their sleep. When I hit it, it's silent on my end. What does it sound like on y'all's end? Um, We have Vocera's. Uh, which is like a, it's kind of like a little walkie talkie. And so it'll say room such and such, you know, it's like, it's trying to contact oh. you. And then sometimes, you okay. know, a lot of people automatically, they're like, okay, I hear the room number click. I'm in another patient's room. I can't really say too much, but I'll be there. In a so second. if we keep hitting, so if we keep hitting it, y'all keep hearing it or does it um, stop once we hit it once? Sometimes it hops around to other people on the floor until somebody picks up. You know, but um, at the end, like usually I, I constantly hear it though. I'm not exactly on the floor, like where it's too, too busy, but eh, I I try and get to it where I can. But I really wanted to talk about um, nurse burnout and especially like for newer graduate nurses that I have been talking to who've only been like nurses for about one to two years. It's kind of interesting how... Mm -hmm. Someone, you know, I was, I specifically remember talking to a girl, she was working on the ICU, probably only like 25 years old. And I was like, Hey, you know, how are you feeling about nurse, you know, nurse burnout right now? I hear that it's really big. You know, have you been experiencing anything with it? She was like, I feel like I've been burnt out probably four months after I started this job position. And I was like, wow. And she said, honestly, I hate to say this, but I'm only really here for the money anymore. And it's like, I can't really feel what I felt when I first took this job. I'm like, the money? And that was only after four months. She said only four months because staffing was just so bad and she had to do so much. And her preceptors weren't really that Mm -hmm. good. So she's like, the whole experience has just been kind of tragic. And so I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, advocate for myself. And like my mom always told me, you know, I can even help you if I applied to like one of her jobs, like finding her is some of the best people that she knows could train me. And so it's, I'm just really trying to get myself into like a proper headspace. Like, you know what? You did years of school for this moment. You know, please don't lose your passion for what you're doing. Right. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Ayana, and good luck to you and congratulations, because like I said at the beginning of this, we do need more nurses. Um, You guys also need to be supported and paid properly as well, so thank you for being selfless and going to that field, because it takes a lot out of you. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I'm going to keep praying. I have faith, and I'm not quitting anytime soon. 
All right. Well, we'll talk Thank to you, you later. Enjoy the rest of your night. Bye. All right. Last caller, uh, Shammy, go ahead and unmute your microphone. Hey, T. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all the listeners. Happy New Year. We can barely hear you. Okay. I'll speak up. Can you okay. Hear me now? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Now, you said you work in the jails as a nurse in L.A.? Yeah, Twin Towers Corrections down in Los I know. Y'all be seeing all types of crazy stuff. It is the worst job I've ever had in my life. It is um, a mm. LDM. And when I started working in healthcare, we were the RN's right hand to med-serve. We all- Can you talk up a little bit more? Because they said they can't hear you at all. Are you on a headset? Speaker. Did I take it off? Yeah, try and take it off speaker and just talk into the phone. I want this jail tea. <laughs> Hello? Unmute your microphone. How's that? Is that a little better? Yeah, that's way better. Okay. So I'm a 20-year LVN, and um, when I first started my career, we were the RN's right hand to med-surge in any other complicated floor in the hospital. They started phasing us out and only wanted RNs with bachelor's, master's, so on and so forth. So we were kind of pushed out and we were scattered. Um, And I've been working in corrections for only two years and I didn't even make it to the end of the second year. But when I got there, um, not only is the culture bad, the condition of the jail is the most deplorable place. I couldn't have that title on my badge and go in there and work. it's kind of built like a skilled nursing setting. Mm-hmm. You have a huge medication cart and you would have to prep meds for about 200 inmates. Um, it takes you about four hours to prep the medication. It takes you about two hours to pass it. And you're passing um, medication to hostile patients, um, inmates who would throw feces, throw urine. Um, yeah. Bang. Oh no. It's on the floor. It's gnat. It's mildew. It's, it's to the point where you can get like a really bad staph infection from just touching a doorknob without a glove on. Mm. And um, I had a really bad experience because when you're when you're an um when you're clean, organized, neat. Um, it's okay. You're recognized, but you're also ostracized. So I was awarded at one point. They gave me my own floor to heal all the wounds of the of the floor. So it's usually six, it's usually three pods, but they gave me six. And in each pod is about uh, four. So it's a lot of pods that you have to pass the medication to. Not only that, do all their wound care. So they gave me the unit. I cleaned it up and I got rid of all the wounds and it became, quote unquote, the easy pod. And they took me out and made me float. And then the that unit went back down to And that's when I quit. I was like, I, I can't keep working here. It was being organized. No medication. You always have to go dig and find. And not only dealing with um, inefficient supplies you had to deal with the deputy the deputies was the worst part if the deputies did not like you they would not escort you and help you pass your medication they would but torture you and make it turn into like a four-hour med pass 
by law, we are not supposed to approach the sale without the deputy. They wouldn't escort you. It, it was terrible, 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 terrible conditions. You're dealing with rapists. You're dealing with murderers who are waiting to transfer to prison. You also have to go into a place where they call it the hole. And inside the hole is pitch black. You really can't see. It's a small light. So you're trying to pass mid in the dark. And you can't see anything because they're literally inside of a hole. I don't know if anybody have this experience, but please put in the chat if you've ever went through this, where you had to pass meds in the hole and it's pitch black. You can't read what client, what patient you're at and what the medication. They don't have like a, a flashlight for y'all or somebody with a lantern? You have to buy your own. I have my own flashlight, my own mouse, my own keyboard, your own keypad. Like you have to buy your own. Oh my God! It's trash when it comes to correction. I'm sorry to say, but yes, I quit that. <laughs> I could not do it. I'm sorry. I could do it. Oh my God! So now, what kind of medication and all? I mean, I guess if you're in jail, there might be some mental health. But I mean, are these mental health issue medications y'all passing out? Or is these people with diabetes? Like, do y'all have to give people insulin shots? But then they're going crazy too. Yes. So every floor had a medical condition. So there's a floor where people typically have high blood pressure. There's a floor where people typically have diabetes and need insulin. 90% of the Twin Tower clients, 99, are psych. Um, there's also CJ, which is the central jail, men's central jail. That side is not really psych. It's just real, real hood. It's real, real rowdy. And you are not protected. So they walk up to you to get their medication. At Twin Towers, you go to the cell, they open a slot. But at CJ, the central jail, they mm. come up to you. If you cool, they cool. But if a fight break out and something get thrown, you are in the crossfire. And I checked, I rang the bell on CJ. I can't do CJ. So I told them to put me just in Twin Towers, but you're dealing with drug-induced psychosis and a lot of untreated mental health. And you also deal with clients from CJ mm. that are, you know, quote unquote, scared or they'll claim mental health to get out of CJ. Those clients are not so bad, but you get the really, really sick, symptomatic kid, uh, treat, I'm sorry, clients that don't, that do not um, have treatment. So they come in really, really symptomatic. And that's where I was until I, I waved the white flag and I got up out of here. I just left in December. So when did you leave? So I didn't, um, didn't come back. In oh, wow. And how long were you there? Since 2020. Because mm. I remember there was another one of my discorders. She worked in the um, jails, too, because I never thought about it like that. Because I said, well, I had a thought she was a prison guard. She said, no, she was a nurse in the jails. And she was talking about, like, you know because you have to deal with these patients. And a lot of times if you show them, they'll show you respect, but a lot of it is harassment. It's the filth. It's the nonsense. It's the mind games. Um, and she worked there for quite a few years. She couldn't take it anymore either. And she worked in LA County, but yeah, I never even thought about that, but yeah, people in prison, they need medical, you know, BL Sherelle talks about it all the time that that's the worst place to get sick is in prison because you're not going to get the treatment like you would if you're outside and you have insurance and things like that. And I'm just very surprised because I would think that if the nurses are in there working, there would be a sheriff or, you know, a deputy or a CEO right alongside you guys as you guys are passing our medication and stuff. 
correct that if you have that report, I didn't. But a lot of it is a culture insensitivity. So in a lot of people, if you're not from here and you don't speak their language, they're not messing with you. Them deputies ain't messing with you. So if you're a foreigner and you talk and you got an attitude and you'll come correct, they're not going to protect you. They're not going to help you. That They run the jails, ultimately, as well as the inmates. We're just pawns playing in the game. It's a yeah. lot of sexual harassment. They can say whatever they want to say. You cannot respond. You cannot reply. And I don't even understand how many, so, so many doctors, nurses, and other staff members are getting caught up with these inmates. They're having sex with them. Not them sleeping with the crazy inmates. These inmates. I have a friend that stopped talking to me because she got caught. She she bought him a cell phone. She took she snuck the oh. cell phone in there and had all her nudes in the cell phone. And he had the cell phone. The cell phone dropped out his pants and all her nudes got exposed. A psychiatrist got exposed before I left. And the girls who bring their store, like the chips and the soda and all that, they always getting caught, honey. I don't get it. I don't get it. Mm. They ain't my tea to sip, but it's nasty. It's nasty, and they. Kill Somebody me. said, "Don't you watch Prison Lockdown?" Um, yeah, I watch Prison Lockdown, but I've never heard of the nurse staff getting with the inmates. But I mean, I guess there's a short of of men on the streets. But that I just wouldn't want to risk my job because can you lose your medical license doing that or no? Oh, so you can. Uh huh. You gotta plead. You gotta literally go to like a court for the board. And in my case, is border vocational nurses. You have to literally go to court and you have to plead for your license. And they do restrict it and they suspend you. You cannot work. And this psychiatrist that got caught, I haven't seen her, heard of her. She got caught with her number in the same phone because he was talking to multiple women. So a psychiatrist, an actual doctor got caught too. Mm. Now, somebody in the chat is saying this. I'm here for all this nursing jail tea, honey. Somebody in the chat says the female CEO guards get jealous over the female nurses. So y'all be beefing with the girl CEOs? Yeah, so it's a it's a, uh, uh. it's a thing in these jails. Like, okay, so you see some of the I'm married. I'm not playing this game, but I'm a fly on the wall. I'm looking. I'm watching. So they, <laughs> they will wear the tightest fucking pants. And they will wear the tightest uniform. You can't bend over. You can't stoop. You can't bend. And they all competing for this attention of these inmates. And of it's a cesspool. So if the if the deputy is having sex with the nurses and the nurses having sex with the deputies, then they create this whole triangle, love triangle. And then the nurses is playing around with the inmates, custody plan with the inmates. And even some doctors now. Hell, I thought doctors had higher standards than this. But they out here getting caught up too. They want love too. <laughs> they getting that Damn, the chat is going crazy right now. Like everybody in the chat is why well, I'm laughing at these gifts, these comments. I was not expecting all this jail too. Okay. Like I've I've heard about CEOs and you know getting caught up with guards. We I mean, I did the whole uh that on my tea time unfiltered true crime show about Darnell and that Tina whatever her name is, LaHaya. But this with the nurses and the competition with the female guards. I mean, this is insane. And these are people who need care, of course. That's why they have them. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Is the pay more? Is the pay better in a jail than, let's say, you worked in a hospital or a nursing home? Is that why people are just willing to do it at the jail because they get way more money? At the time when I came in, it was the COVID crisis at, at March of 2020, the COVID crisis. So they bumped the pay up. 
I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Let me give it a try. This is the only field I really haven't ever worked at. So I tried it. I, I politely took myself up out of there. But the prisons for the state of California, I can only speak for, pay more than the actual county jails. There's a difference between state pay and prison pay. But at the time, we got in on those bonuses and they were uh, bumping everybody's rate up. And right now, out here in California, I don't know about any other state, but we really uh, capitalizing off the pay because it's such a shortage. So not only just corrections, but even if you went and worked SNF, uh, which is a skilled nursing facility, even they are double. So if you were normally you know, 30, they're paying 60. And if you were 40, they're paying 80 just so you can work during crisis. And they haven't really bought down the prices, the hourly that much. So right now, everybody taking advantage of it. Everybody dipping their toe on one thing. They're doing eight-week contracts. Then they're getting out. Me, on the other hand, I'm working for a nonprofit, but I also already started my own house. So I'm taking care of inmates that actually come out um, and finish their time um, like a halfway house. Instead of them doing their time in prison, they do their time here okay. and they get, like mental health treatment. I have a mentor and a doctor that's helping me start my own. And I also work in one and they're the ones who helping me. So it's a, it's a bag out here for it all, but you really have to do it because you really love it. I really, really like mental health. Mm-hmm. But that's my field. And that's, okay. that's, the, that's the Twin Towers T, honey. That's all I got for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you calling in, sis, with all this good tea, you know, because, yeah, we forget that there's doctors and nurses that work in the jails. Because, like I said, I had totally forgotten until me and one of my discorders were talking, and she was talking about how she worked in the jail for years as a, you know, as a nurse. And we forget that inmates need, you know, care, you know, not just sexual, but, you know, real, you know, mental health and physical care and, and meds and everything else. But, yeah, I just couldn't even imagine it's bad enough to deal with like sick patients and, you know, the things that you have to go through as a nurse, the smells and the, you know, all that stuff. And then to deal with it in a jail, you know, in a dark room, like that's just creepy. That's a lot. Yeah, it was hard. I'm glad I came out of that. A lot of people are um, having mental health issues from just being traumatized from working in there. And nursing is a small world. Right. Which you've been in it for a long time. If you travel to enough places, you actually run into people you've had encounters with before. And a lot of people didn't come out of there normal. And I just pray for all those nurses in there that just kind of deal with it. But I, I ain't no money good enough. Not for me. Now, how can I ask you before you go, how are all those prisoners doing TikTok videos? What's that about? Oh, everybody. It's a plug for everybody. Listen, the guards bringing in phones, custody bringing in phones, nurses bringing in phones, the store people p- bringing in phones. Hell, I even think the, uh, what's the priests and all them people with the little black tie and all them little, I think they all bringing it in there. It's a bag for everybody because you get in, they paying somebody on the outside to pay you to bring it in. So I already know that. I already know the, t- the plug is everybody else bringing it in because for years. But when they have it and they're posting videos with their faces, what happens to them? Because I've seen whole jail TikTok channels. I'm like, they're still up. <laughs> they turn, look, custody turn the other cheek. Is it worth it? They don't care. And right now they plan with the whole defund the police thing. So if ain't nobody dying, they really don't give a shit. They don't care. It's not mm. as strict as or militant as it used to be. They really don't care anymore, especially when they're... 
As long as you're out of their hair. Ain't nobody bleeding. Ain't nobody fighting. They're not going in there and flipping over mattresses like do. I don't. I think I saw one out of the two mm. years I worked there. One time when they gutted uh when they gutted a cell and they could because they thought somebody had drugs. That was it. They don't care about no phones and stuff like that no more. They really don't. Oh wow. Well, that's very interesting. Well, thank you for explaining because I was confused. I just knew they was going to get caught and removed. I came back a month later. They had like 10 more videos up. I said, well, damn, they got a whole channel. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> everything, everything goes down in there. It's the same old being on the outside. You just They're just inside, but they still outside, if that makes sense. Wow. Well, thank you so much. This was a nice note to leave on. I appreciate you calling in and thank you for your work as a nurse as well. Thank you for having me. Have a good night, everybody. You too. Bye. All right, you guys. This has been a just an awesome show. I can't believe we've been on here for three and a half hours. I have learned so much information. This chat was popping. Um, we had at one point close to a thousand people in here. But I appreciate everybody for just coming through and hanging out and, and listening. I appreciate all the nurses and medical personnel who called in. I know we had a lot of hands still raised that we didn't get a chance to um, get to. I apologize about that. Maybe we'll do another one of these shows in the future. But um, thank you guys. And once again, understand that you guys are doing the Lord's work. And thank you all for your contribution in the healthcare establishment, the jails, the hospitals, the long care for, uh, facilities, the nursing homes, all that stuff, the CNAs, the EMTs. I and mean, we talked to a wide variety of people here, the pharmacists. You guys are the, you know what I mean? You guys are the backbone of the, of the health industry in America. You know, if we don't have our nurses, our doctors, our medical staff, we have nothing because at the end of the day, health is wealth. So yeah, I hope you guys really enjoyed this. Thank you guys so much for the love and support. I appreciate you all. You guys have a good night. Stay safe and good luck out there to all you nurses. Hang in there. We know it's a thankless job, but we all thank you for your service. Bye, you guys. Have a good night. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to today's show. Make sure you join us again soon. For all the latest tea, make sure you follow me on my social media pages. Just put in L-O-V-E-L-Y-T-I on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.